You think I'm stupid, Duke? Even if I gave you money, you'd still tell on mother and no one must know about her or what she's done! Do you Welcome to the Psycho Retrospective. Wait, Dorothy, is this a retrospective of the movies or a retrospective by Psychos? It's both. <laughs> by the time this is over, you're going to think differently of a couple of us. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, all that. So, you know, listen, we got the skeleton crew here. We're going to do a psycho in-depth look, and it's time to check into the Bates Motel. And we have a lot. You know, we got to break this up into a couple uh, shows here because we're going to get into so much. Uh, psycho 1, 2, 3, and 4. We are doing a little special bonus thing for the remake because we already recorded that with the guy who made the Psycho Legacy. Plus, fuck that movie. Yeah, plus fuck that movie. So we're going to play clips of that just so there's a little bit of that in the retrospective. And we're going to talk about Hitchcock, too. Yes. Which is a movie about, sort of about, the making of Psycho. That's uh, about it. And then we're going to lead into uh, the Bates Motel TV show on A&E. So you got all that in the next show or two. We'll see how this goes, how long it you know runs. And uh, so that's it. So when we come back, we're going to get started. And uh, Dan, you know the way we start these retrospectives now in 2013. How do, how do we start the Texas Chainsaw retrospective? Do you remember what we did to kick off the show? If you don't, I'll remind you. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> we hit it off a little rap piece, right? Uh-oh. You, you know what that means? What does that mean? Remember how we talked about how we kind of hate in our uh, Halloween movie awards show how we feel bad about bashing Buster Rhymes because he is kind of cool. So we feel bad that we ripped him in Halloween 8. Kind of cool? Dude, Buster Bust is the fucking shit. Exactly. So there's no better way to start off this retrospective without a little psycho and bust a bust. Oh, shit. Yeah. As a shorty playing in the front yard of the crib, fell down and I bumped my head. Somebody helped me up and asked me if I bumped my head. I said, yeah. So then they said, oh, so that means you're going you gonna to switch it on them. I said, yeah, flip mode. Flip mode is the greatest. You know, and as a shorty, I was always told... That if I ain't gonna be part of the greatest, I gotta be the greatest myself. Come on, come on, yeah, come on, yeah, nigga. What? What a surprise! Do you something make a nigga close over your eyes? All my niggas getting money capitalized. Die, little small guy, we on the rise. Everything a nigga touch, flat the mind's full of your crib. You know we coming all on supplies. Got a big gun and I'ma show you the size. You fuck with any of my flip mode family ties. Me and my niggas be coming through, stalking you out, killing off any and everything you talking about. See you in the club, now we walking you out. Should've thought twice before you went and open your mouth. Yo, anyway we stay keeping it moving. Fuck with the wrong nigga. Hope you know what you're doing now. Blame me, all the same niggas is lame. It's not a game, make a name still put in your brain. That niggas had enough? Give me some more. That niggas want the wild shit? Give me some more. Yo, Slip, where the weed at? Give me some more. I know y'all niggas need that? Give me some more. Even though we getting money, you could give me some more. With the cars and the big crib? Give me some more. Everybody spread love? Give me some more. If you want it, let me hear you say it. Give me some more. Blast with a branch, give me my cash, look at my ass. Running with my money, sung go out with a blast. Do what you want, the niggas cut in the corner, you 
out. She telling news on how you switch to a bitch. A little fake funny style, nigga, chill with a snitch. So now I pass you straight, I don't got nothing to ask you. Make a little room for me, you know my niggas to pass through. Cartier, Sydney, Portier, her way shit. Roll with all of my niggas from around the way shit. When I come through, your niggas know my do my thing. Bring more shit to generate money. Cha-ching. Arrest you, lyrically, flow will caress you. Bless you, then a the nigga come to your rescue. Why you assume a nigga blossom and bloom? I'm coming soon, hit you with a boom. Give me some room. Y'all niggas had enough? Give me some more. Y'all niggas want some wild shit? Give me some more. It's split with a weed out. Give me some more. I know y'all niggas need that. Give me some more. Even though we getting money, you can give me some more. Calls in the big crib. Give me some more. Everybody's red love. Give me some more. If you want Psycho. Some more. All right, this movie came out September 8th, 1960. My birthday's September 6th. That was close. That was close. It stars Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates, Vera Miles as Lila Crane, John Gavin as Sam Loomis, Janet Lee as Marion Crane, Martin Balsam as Milton Arbogast, and the rest of the people aren't that important. So. <laughs> Arbogast. Matt Wiesel. Arbogast. <laughs> Matt Wiesel. Do I have to do that too? Since <laughs> you've done it. Yeah, because we both did it. Go ahead. Because <laughs> it was really necessary for me to redo it. Yeah. Okay. Wizzell! Matt Wizzell. <laughs> <laughs> He's already in there. Arbogast. Arbogast, yeah. <laughs> so here's what's cool about the retrospective. We have two retrospectives in a row that are based off of Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Psycho... Uh, <laughs> I have, you know, let's get to the facts. We like to start that off. The movie took $800,000 of Alfred Hitchcock's own money to make, and it overall has grossed $40 million. So it was uh, voted seventh scariest movie of all time by Entertainment Weekly. Uh, The American Film Institute voted it 14th greatest movie ever. The line, a boy's best friend is his mother, is voted the 56th greatest movie quote ever. Mm. And Norman Bates is hailed as and voted as the second greatest horror villain in a hundred years, which is basically all of them. Damn. And the soundtrack is rated number four. Yes. So there is just so much praise this movie gets. You know, the first time uh, I've ever been involved with a retrospective... You're, this is really, and you know, we talked to death about those meant to be moments, like you know, that I've been saying for a little bit. Yeah. How like coincidences are not coincidences; it's all you're, part of something. Your psychosis. Yes. Here's <laughs> another part of it. Check this out. Okay. The first <laughs> retrospective I've ever done was a psycho retrospective. It was when me and Mike were on Rabbit and Red. And we used to do a Sunday show, which is like, we didn't have Vince involved. And it was just us. So I said, well, hey, let's do something kind of big this time. Right? It was probably our fourth show. And I said, let's do like, uh... at the time, we didn't call it retrospective. We called it a spotlight, which I kind of wish we did now. I think it's even cooler. But uh, So I said, let's do the spotlight on the Psycho movies. So we did that. And here's the meant to, or crazy coincidence thing. We happened to do it on Sunday as always. And the Sunday we did it on was September 12, 2010, which was the 18th anniversary of Anthony Perkins' death. Wow. Oh, shit, huh? Like, how crazy is that? 
I think there are no mistakes, and everything is very important. So I do. I, you know, you know me. You know, I totally believe everything happens for a reason.、Mm-hmm. I'm waiting to find the reason that I'm here. On this show, I don't think you'll get one. <laughs> There's no reason for this. I don't know why it was so you could you could make the kick-ass intro for my show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. So now that you've done that, I'll see you later. That's pretty much the only reason. <laughs> Thanks、yeah. for the intro. <laughs> <laughs>、uh, all right, guys. Well, before we go any further, I just want to、uh, get this out there. This psycho retrospective. From Harbid.com and the Skeleton Crew is sponsored by the Psycho Legacy. That is a documentary on all four Psycho movies. It came out about two years ago, so please support our sponsors. We're going to be playing clips from there, from that documentary, where you know need be. I really don't think I'm going to use too many for the first one because so much has already been said about Psycho that. You know, like in documentaries and stuff, that we don't want to repeat. That we're trying to give our own angle. While I, you know, of course, just threw in some facts, but we're gonna try and make it more of a review rather than you know things like that. So we're not gonna use too many clips, but we will fill the rest of the retrospective out with clips from the Psycho Legacy. So pick up that DVD at Amazon.com. That was created by Robert Galuzzo, who will be. Uh, popping in at the end of this retrospective because I'm going to be playing clips from the appearance he had when we did Psycho 1960 versus the remake to end off this retrospective and、uh, look for the book that is coming out of the Psycho Legacy. He's doing a book、uh, and it's way more in depth, so please look for that. All right. So this movie was filmed in black and white because.、Uh, Alfred Hitchcock felt that it would be too gory in color, and the other reason is because,、uh, you know, as we said, he financed it himself, so he wanted to keep the cost down. So black and white is a lot cheaper than color. Now, that, you know, all these movies, all the Psychos could have been in color. What do you guys think? Would it have taken something away had Psycho been in color? I think so. I think part of the charm is that it's a black and white film.、Uh, it it almost lends to. I think it it lends to the horror because I mean we're so used to seeing blood and gore.、Mm. You know, this forces you to look at it in a different light. I mean, plus it's just photographically it's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, lighting is different. Pe- the things people wear are different. A lot of things are different in black and white than they are in color. And、uh... and a lot of people don't realize that that when you you can't just you know slap your camera to black and white mode and <laughs> film it and expect <laughs> it to look good.、No. You know, you it, it it takes a lot of work to get a really good looking black and white film. Yeah, everything's thought out differently with that. The the makeup is thought is、oh, different. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> everything. 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 So、uh, yeah, so the music of Psycho. Before we get into the actual movie, the music is is as iconic as any. I think it's right up there with the big ones.、Uh, I think Friday the Thirteenth borrowed. I think it's as iconic as Halloween. And、um, <clears throat> you know, do you guys know which movie like basically ripped Psycho? Um. Like I mean, the music is almost identical. Oh, Reanimator. Yeah. Yeah. 
And for anyone who don't know, let's do a little side-by-side comparison. Let's listen to this. How close is that? Wow. I mean, that's that's bizarre. Well, it well, it's not really bizarre. It was on purpose. Yeah, obviously. If but. you uh, if you watch, I mean, if you um, watch the special edition reanimator, there's a um, there's a featurette about specifically about the music, and it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. I've never seen reanimator. Oh my god! What? You that's have got to come. Crazy. No, you have got to come stay with me over a weekend and. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he'll be watching Reanimator. <laughs> going on down to Georgia, going on. <laughs> Watch some movies I haven't seen. Go ahead, that's how you finish it. <laughs> well, Reanimator is actually ten dollars at Best Buy right now on Blu-ray, so I'm there. But wouldn't Sweet. you rather just? Wouldn't you rather watch it with me? Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh sure. Going on down to Georgia. <laughs> what was I going to say about it? Yeah, the uh, so the psycho music actually. Alfred Hitchcock was so happy with Bernard Herrmann's music that, you know, he put to this movie that he doubled his salary. Like, you know, whatever he was originally going to pay him, he actually doubled it, and it turned out to be $34,500. Hmm. Wow. Compared to the, uh... Wait, was that after the flip, dude? Because... So, probably after. I can't imagine he paid him with that original budget. With yeah, his own but... money, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So he he doubled his salary. That's how happy he was with the music. That was that's awesome. So I don't know. So let's. I guess he started off. I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about, and a lot of them are subtext. And you know how Alfred Hitchcock was, uh, as you know, as you find out in the next movie he made, he was crazy into birds. Uh, yeah. And that plays in this movie a ton. I mean, a ton. The subtext is unbelievable. Um, so right off the bat, the first scene of the movie, you notice it's a bird's eye view that kind of comes into Sam and Marion's room in the hotel they were, you know, having an affair in. Yep. Yep. That's, that's what that's supposed to be, a bird. Then you got the birds in the parlor. You got the bird paintings in Marion's room, and all those birds are birds of prey, and all the birds in the parlor looking down at her... You eat like a bird. <laughs> ...are birds of predators, right, and you eat like a bird. There's so many things, like, even, like, even when he was talking about, he said, you know, birds, uh, he likes to stuff birds because they look well-stuffed, because birds are kind of passive to begin with, you know... Um, the smaller stuffed dead birds could symbolize Norman's conflict with uh, not only his mother, but all women, you know, like they're better 
they're better dead and unresponsive,、mm-hmm. you know, like to him. Even at one point in the conversation with Marion, he's like, you know, but she's no, she's harmless. She's she's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds, you know. Like, there's a lot of bird stuff going on. Yep.、Uh, and when he knocks over the one bird, the picture of the bird, when he sees the, you know, well, we'll, we'll get there.、Mm. Dude, bir- birds in mass quantities are sketchy. Like every time I go to the beach and they, you know, like they surround you because like people throw food、yeah. out of their car. Like, have you ever had like twenty of them? Like one time、mm-hmm. I was just standing there and like they were just surrounding me. Clearly weren't afraid of me and they were just coming closer. And like I, I thought for a second, oh fuck. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a pussy move, but fuck you. Yeah, as long as you're not eating anything, you'll be fine. Exactly. Ever since I was a kid, I've always loved. The the birds and that the eye pecking.、Um, oh God! The <laughs> when she finds the farmer and his eyes have been pecked out, I just always <laughs> thought that was just the the coolest thing. And recently, I got to do a scene where I got my eye pecked out, and it was so excited. It's <laughs> fucking badass.、Dude. That's like one of those dream things, you know. It's like yeah, I've always、right. wanted to die this way, or not, not for real, but I've always wanted. Do you ever to... think about how you want to die? <laughs> I want a bunch of old men to tear my body apart. <laughs> If Jason were to kill me, then I yeah. <laughs> I know people who would like be honored to be killed by Jason. We should do a whole show about how we'd want to get killed by Jason or Freddy or maybe oh god, Jesus, possibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I really want some jerk off to say now we're playing with power before he kills me. <laughs> I'll really go out with pride. <laughs> Welcome to Prime Time, bitch. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the guy I want to end me. All right. So.、Uh, Like okay, so let's get to the very beginning. Obviously, the whole crazy thing about this movie is that the main character is Marion Crane, and once again, I think Crane is a type of a bird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. It just it's going on. There's so much subtext. <laughs> I used to go to high school with this kid. I'm a crane. <laughs> Are you serious? I swear to God, dude. <laughs> dude, you hung out with the coolest people. <laughs> There was a, there was a custodian in one of the dorms here at UGA who had Tourette's, and he would walk around going beat the drum, beat the drum, beat the drum, beat the drum, or he would say, "Goddamn kids!" Jesus Christ! <laughs> cool, cool, bang your dad. <laughs> Reference. Oh,、uh, all right. So yes.、Uh, so the whole point of the movie is that you're. Following Marion is your main character.、Uh, it's real and really heavy shit. Really, I mean that rich cowboy jerk off comes in. He's dropping forty grand. I think he's paying the house off in full. Oh God,、nope. that guy gets on my nerves. <laughs> yeah, for his daughter. Yes, he's buying her a wedding present. I think. Yeah, that's nice. I, yeah. And what's up with Marion's coworker taking tranquilizers? <laughs> <laughs> well,、yeah. I, apparently her mother. Gives her a nervous condition. I mean, you know, people were popping Valium back、True. then like crazy. It was just that was what you did. Popping Benny's. <laughs> Now, Dan is、yeah. you're the expert on the drug thing.、Indeed. Is is Percocet equal to tranquilizers? Like, if you're popping Percocets now, would you say that's the same thing? No, it's not the same. It's not an opiate. 
Bryce. So what is the what are what are the effects? As like is is she more hardcore than the average uh, teenager and or twenty or twenty something? <laughs> tranquilizers are pretty hardcore. I've no, I I myself have never taken a tranquilizer. <laughs> so that's about as hard as you go. <laughs> yeah, but tranquilizers fucking yeah. Really? I th- I mean I won't fuck with them. But it's not like horse tranquilizer or anything like that. I mean, it's... Jamie probably takes cat tranquilizer. Special K. (laughs) (laughs) I just, like, who just, she says it so casually, too. She's just like, I got some tranquilizers. It's like, what the fuck? It's not, there's nothing unusual, really, about it. it (laughs) For a headache? (laughs) Likely she was taking Valium. Which was very common back then, and it—I mean, everybody took it. It was like it was like it was like the Prozac of the fifties and the sixties. You know, would you equate it to a Prozac or like a Xanax or something? Because I think tranquilizer. What I mean was—I don't mean by what it does. I mean by the fact that, like, every—you know—at one point, oh, right. was taking the, Prozac. Right. You know? it's true. Yeah. Um. Uh-oh. But yeah, I mean, it's more akin to Xanax, I guess. But um. So I guess it is pretty normal. It just sounds so funny. She's just like. Oh, I got a headache. Oh, here's a tranquilizer. It's like, Jesus yeah. Christ. My husband was furious when he found out I was taking tranquilizers. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I would be too, honey. I, it kind of raised a red flag for me. No, no. <laughs> you guys are taking it way too seriously. Well, it depends. No, if it's a Xanax, I wouldn't care. Unless, unless she's addicted, because coming off of that, man, that's a... That's a that's a benzo drug. There's no uh, there's nothing to help you to withdraw from that. So you don't want to get hooked on Xanax, kids. Me and Rovenzo rolling in the benzo. Yeah, don't get hooked on Xanax. <laughs> I recommend if you're gonna do Xanax, do it every other to every three days. Don't get hooked on anything. <laughs> it's just to the three day rule. <laughs> why why would you want to do Xanax? All it does is nothing. I, I did mean, Xanax it, one time and I lost three days. I mean, I, I have <laughs> used it, you know, like before, if I, okay, like the, when I did Visser a couple of years ago, I took a Xanax to just keep me from freaking out, you know, <laughs> to just to oh. be chill. And, right. And it worked. Um, <laughs> but, or if I can't sleep and I'm out of Ambien all the time. I'm taking Xanax. Yeah, that's a waste, I think, if you do well, it Well, Well, because usually the reason I can't sleep is because I'm, like, restless. I, I kick. Yeah, you're thinking about me and Dan. I know. It's, oh. it's common. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. That's a common <laughs> thing that goes around with all the women listeners here. <laughs> then the bed gets all slippery. <laughs> exactly. You... Oh, that's good. Ain't got time for that. <laughs> she slides right out of, right into her slippers. <laughs> All right, so uh, where were we? Yes, the chick with the tranquilizer. Yeah. So, and and you know what I love about that bitch? She's like, oh, I guess he must have noticed my wedding ring. No, he noticed your uh, hydrocephalic head, which is uh, three sizes too big for your body. <laughs> Fucking melon head. <laughs> you ain't got a full head. You got a five head. Man, <laughs> I bet you don't have dreams. You have movies. Man. Uh, yes. So the guy hands her $40,000. And here's the thing. I want everybody to, you got to put it in perspective. You're probably thinking like, why would she risk a roughly $30,000 a year job for $40,000? No, this is 1960. And you got to remember if this guy is buying his daughter a house paid in full, you got to remember he's rich. So he wouldn't buy his daughter a shit house either. So now you got to translate. 
A common house is $300,000. A rich person's house is like minimally, I'd say, six hundred. So now, what you're dealing with is six hundred thousand dollars. Would you guys agree? <laughs> I didn't know math was going to be on the test. <laughs> hey, listen, we're I t- we're getting smarter now, that Jamie. I don't right? know I the current market. Well, I want people to put it in perspective. Wait, okay. do you, you think he would have bought his daughter a six hundred thousand dollar home? You're right. Okay. So he would have bought her a normal house, but he seems. Re- and listen, if well, you're yeah, running, a- I mean, he can still be rich, but um, um, this is their starter home. You know, it's not going to be anything huge. It's going to be a starter home. You know, I- all right. So you want to drop to three? Oh Jesus! I keep forgetting you're from New Jersey. Christ, three hundred thousand here is a mansion. Oh yeah, it ain't that much here. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Okay. In the movie, it's California, which right. I think prices in California are kind of neck and neck with. Well, then I'm back. I'm, I'm, I'm right. So you're again. right. Yeah, I mean that's well. That's okay. what I'm saying is that I would. Buy, now I still don't think he would buy her a six hundred or even a three hundred thousand dollars. Oh, you don't yeah. think? Yes, I guess he would. Maybe. Yeah, you're right. I'd say three hundred. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so let's put this forty thousand is three hundred thousand. All right. So remember that during the whole movie. Now, so Marion is supposed to deposit the money, but instead she decides to take the money to start packing. Because she's going to head over to her boyfriend, Sam. Now, here's the cool thing about this. Sam Loomis. <laughs> Isn't that his name? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, you all know that name. So here's the, here's the cool thing about it. Do you know that Anthony Perkins was paid the same amount of money that Marion Crane stole? He was paid $40,000 to do Psycho. Wow, dude. So, you just saying that, I know the guy who did the music definitely got paid after, because if he made it for what? What did 34, he... he got paid 34000 to do the music. What did Hitchcock make the movie for again? 800000 800000 okay, wait, yeah, so I guess... Did he, uh, did he make him dive into the water to get his money from the trunk? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a cool fact, I think. Um yeah. So then uh basically, you know, Marion driving over. And uh, what do you guys think of that scene when she's like driving and then she hears all those voices? Do you think those voices were symbolizing fact, like what's really happening or just what's in her head? Cuz I think they eventually sort of match up cuz everyone's it all kind of worked out. Yeah, it all kind of matched up by what's every what everyone's doing, right? Some, but I think that that was what was going on in her head. Those were the scenes that were she imagined were playing out. And then, of course, she's going to be correct on some cases, but um, I, I think that that was strictly what she thought was going to happen or was happening. Yeah, but I think it plays as both. I can see that. Yes. I love the little smirk that she gets on her face yeah. while during that conversation going on in her head. And she's like at that little evil smirk. That is so cute. I love it. Well, the reason why she had that is because that was the point when the cowboy dude was talking about, I'm not going to kiss off $40,000 if you think for, you know. Take it out of her, her, her fine, soft flesh. Right. <laughs> so she was happy. I think that she didn't like the guy the way he was, like, kind of hitting on her and stuff. So she kind of didn't like him to begin with, and she was kind of cynical about the idea that she ripped him off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
of course, she uh, eventually, due to the rain and all that kind of stuff, she had... Oh, no, wait. Before that. Oh, no. Even in a cooler scene. So as she's driving, she gets tired and she pulls over. And then she wakes up and there's a cop basically banging on her window. Now, I'm sorry. This cop, that this dude was perfectly cast. Threatening as all hell, yeah. His face alone. <laughs> yep. Yep. The most intimidating... The, the sunglasses, the the look on his face, the way he was. Yep. Can, and I gotta call bullshit though on the cop and the um, the coincidental seeing the boss crossing the street. I mean, it made sense, you know. Um, but what are the what what are the fucking chances? I'm sorry. You did you just boss? say coincidental see? Co- yeah. <laughs> Is that not a word? We make new words here. Coincidental. Coincidental's a word. <laughs> Coincidence? Coincidental. It's a word. What are you Jamie, you're so evil. Coincidental is a word, but... What did I say? But you said coincidence... Co- co- Coincidentalcy. Coinc- yes, coincidentalcy. No, no, I said co- coincidental scene. Scene. Oh. Because oh. there were two of them. There was, um... No, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, there was, <laughs> there was, uh... There was the cop scene, and obviously, you know, he sees her buying a car. I mean, come on, dude. I mean... That, yeah, that's really far-fetched. And then seeing her boss, too. I mean, yeah, it did make... Well, that was cool, though. That was a great scene. It was cool, but do you think that would really happen? I mean, listen, man. I love this movie, dude. I'm not trying to fucking nitpick. I just think those two things happening, it definitely builds your paranoia. And and that's that was the whole point. You know what I mean? Like, she was trying to get away from, obviously, her boss, and then seeing the cop, and I mean... But with her fucking luck, dude, with her, you know, coincidental luck and all this, all that other shit happening, it's, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that was the same cop that would be assigned to the fucking theft. I mean, really, it's yeah, like, right? it, 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 it seemed to be a little too spot on, but I liked it. It conveyed paranoia. a little bit too suspicious. Honestly, her, exactly. her, her character annoys me during those scenes because she is so incredibly suspicious and I'm like, stop it. You know, <laughs> you see, I, I don't agree with you. I feel, I feel, I don't know. I feel like I'm in her, her seat at that moment, and I would kind of be the same way. But I am paranoid that everyone's out to get me. Yeah, so. but when she hit the gas, dude, and the cops like right there, she's like, put it in the back. <gasps> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was bad. That was bad. But at the same time, dude, come on, this dude is like all up in your face and then he happens like you just said the coincidence to show up there like you just want to get the f out of there but here that brings up a whole nother point let's get to this part so she wanted to buy a new car because why because she wanted to change the license plates i guess the license plates came with the damn car that in those days i don't is that what that was all about Hmm. (laughs) i don't know yeah because well yeah because people knew what kind of car she drove Right. And they didn't. It's not like they had a computer that they could look up the license plate number. Right. It's just that it every that you know her car would be the one that everyone was looking for. So, you know, she had to ditch it. Okay, but here's the thing: you're at the car lot. Mm-hmm. You just got there. Mm-hmm. This asshole's across the street looking at you. Why go through with the goddamn p- purchase? That's what exactly. I'm saying is that she was she fucked it all up. <laughs> yeah, you see he's there. It's kind of defeatist to waste right. $700, right? Is that what it was? To 
to to to buy the car, what's the point at that point? Right, Nothing. because if anyone says, "Hey, I'm looking for a blonde, you know, driving this color car with this license plate," right, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, I saw her, and she's uh, <laughs> she just bought a new car, and this is what it looks like," you know. Um, yeah, it it does seem totally pointless, but I guess see that's what I'm saying. She wasn't thinking, you know. She just fucked it all up. Right. Very yes, yeah. and also just a, a side note: that car salesman, he's in a couple Twilight Zone episodes, mm-hmm. um, great ones actually. I think he's in the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Mm-hmm. He's in the Odyssey of Flight Thirty Three, which is a really good one about an airplane that hits turbulence and then it ends up in like um, another time zone. I love how he didn't even want to sell her the car, though. He's a, he's a car salesman. He didn't he didn't even feel like she was. Uh... <laughs> hey, this is the first time I've ever heard of the customer pressuring the salesman. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't give me any trouble. I always say the first customer of the day is going to be trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So she leaves there after the pointless scene of buying a car when he's looking at her doing it. So that's weird. But okay, so she gets, uh, and we're not, we're not like ripping this movie. I don't get no. that. So the, the the fact that the cop did see her those two times and did know who she like and did have this sort of relationship with her comes back. I mean, it's necessary in the beginning, even though it's kind of ridiculous that she went ahead and bought the car. You know, it that it does pay off. It does well. I want to definitely remind me to talk about why all that stuff is so important. What Dan said, the coincidentalcy of the the boss. Like a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Of her boss looking at her and this cop. I want, I want, please remind me to tell you why that's huge after we get past like about five minutes. She first rolls into the Bates Motel. Um, Seeing all the sequels and everything, just isn't that just fucking classic? When that that first Bates Motel um, sign, and then the first shot of the house, dude, is fucking mother walking across the fucking window, or yeah. Norman is mother, obviously. But yeah, man, it's just fucking. I mean, you know. Dan, you just gave that away. Oh fuck, dude! Sorry. No one knew that. Spoiler alert. Nobody knew that Norman would. Oh my god. <sighs> Thank you. Damn it, man. Christ. Can we get Mike back? <laughs> oh, that's fucked up. Wait, uh, are you going to get rid of me because he fucked up? <laughs> no, you can stay. We're going to interchange. We're going to have a whole new cast. Thanks for having my back, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Jamie's <laughs> like, now that he's out, well, how am I in this? <laughs> you know, I need this job. I don't have any other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jamie can't just uh, fall back on the other five. <laughs> Like you said, when you since you see the sequels, now you go back and you see the stuff for the first time. Doesn't that add the creepy level to like the freaking umpteenth degree when you see him grab the key for cabin one? Because at that point, it's like because at that point you know that he was in the thick of this like demented mind. Like in part two. You know that he understands what he did. He knows about mother. He doesn't that. But in this one, he's just right there. He, you could tell it's a, it's a sick, deranged person picking that cabin one. It just adds a whole new meaning to it when you kind of see the sequels. You know what I mean by that? Or- oh, absolutely. And on rewatch too, he says a couple things like, uh, you know, that that definitely um, 
show things that you know on second watch basically you you realize that he's alluding to things that see this is what i was always confused about norman bates too does he realize that he's mother when he's doing it they say no but there's lines in this movie though where it's almost too spot on and i I wish i was smarter and could cite examples i can't it's i could i'll find them all don't worry it's right before the parlor scene and in the parlor when he's talking okay he says mother isn't quite herself today. Is that one of them? Yep, that's one of them. Okay, oh, exactly. That whole part was seen, though. You know, talk about fucking dialogue being spot on back in the- Oh, my God. Well, the scene of him and Marion, I mean, see, a lot of people uh, cite these movies as being boring because it's it's more talking than anything. But those all those scenes, like... If you invest yourself into one person or the other or whatever, the, or the, the situation itself, they're amazing. Those are some of the finest examples of acting, you know? Yep. Uh, There's a what the F moment, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right away. When Marion pulls up, okay, she looks out of her car window. She sees Norman pacing back, uh, mother pacing back and forth in the window. Mm-hmm. She beeps the horn like twice, and this dude's already running downstairs. Like, I don't, there's just no physical way. And it's almost like, how did he snap out of mother mode? A horn right. blows, so now he's Norman? You know, like, that... I don't care, really, but that's... You feel like they were t- trying a little too hard to make us... To lead, yes. to lead us in the wrong direction? Yep. Yeah, to make us think that right. mother is up there, but this guy's running down, so there's two people. And, yeah. and to add to that, Alex, the next scene where she's uh, putting all her stuff away in her room and stuff like that, and she looks <laughs> up, um, the way they talk back and forth, I mean, that's not believable. It's like a back and forth conversation between Norman and mother, and it seems like, I mean, shit, unless he's got some really good lung capacity where he can, <laughs> you know, because it's like boom, 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 right? You know, like a like an argument back and forth, and it's like yelling. It's like, damn, dude. Is this guy going to fucking breathe? I mean, knowing what we know, it's like... It, it, Dan, it was, I've been on phone conversations with you. I can prove that you don't have to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan could go a while without breathing. As a matter of fact, when I was talking to you yesterday, one of my coworkers came in and sat down next to me doing something, and then she just turns around and she goes, does he ever breathe? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, <dude. laughs> and then he asked me a question. He's like, do you agree with that? And I was like, dude, I don't know. I think my eyes glazed over like five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, like Dan gets to seven points before he gets to asking you what you think. <laughs> and then you go, which brings me to my point. <laughs> yeah. Where are we going with this? Uh, shit, I had it. It was right in my head. What were we just saying? Oh, breathing. Yeah, yeah. The funniest part about that whole scene, though, is when he's like, Go on, don't tell her she will not be appeasing her ugly appetite with my food or my son. Or do I have to tell her because you don't have the guts? Huh, boy? You have the guts, boy? Shut up! Shut up! Like, it just seems so... That seemed like one of those added... Yeah, like, shut up! Shut up! Yeah. Like, I just can't see that. There's no, there's no emotion. No. There's no inflection. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. <laughs> like, normally it would be like, shut up. Shut up. Yeah. But it was just like, shut up. Shut up. And like, that's, that's weird to me because he is so spot on with this acting to think that he would. Your neighbors are going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> Dude. But I want to say something, too, before we dive too much into Anthony Perkins, uh, you know, as uh, Norman here. Um, Dude, like, 
the guy who played Sam Loomis there, like, you ever notice in those older movies, I mean, this is 60, right? They kind of talk like this, kid, you know? Like, even the, the, the hotel scene, it's like, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? So, but dude, Perkins comes in, and he's, like, younger in this movie, dude, and it's just, like, spot fucking on, dude. But, like, that, see, I noticed that because, like I said, I just saw in a couple scenes before, Sam Loomis talk like this, girl. I'll see you on the other side of the street. It's like, and it wasn't, Oh, You're right, dude. I never thought about that. It wasn't crazy over the top, but you see older movies. And, dude, it's hard for me to get into older movies just because of that. And it, I guess it's not the acting is bad, but, I mean, I, I – It's just – it's 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 very time-stamped. Exactly. So, yeah, and I know – I love it. You do like it's that? so right. noir, yes. Yeah, It's yeah. just – sometimes I'll just – Bo and I will just talk like that for no reason in the world. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> acting is different. It really changed. It, like, it did. And, well, a lot of it was because of the talkies. Yeah, right. In the beginning, when people were silent film, they had to rely on, you know, gestures and facial expressions to sell right. what they were attempting to sell. And then, you know, during the transition, it was really awkward because you had people who were now speaking but we're still using like outlandish facial expressions right. and gestures. Right. Um, Mr. Spock. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we're going. Oh, man. It's the nick of time. <laughs> we'll be making, well, if we were alive, we would be making fun of these movies when we're like 80, you know? Like the acting would be so goofy. Uh, the Iron Man stuff, you know? That'll be weird in 50 years, you know? So, um, you know, Marion comes in, Norman grabs cabin one, she goes there, they have the back and forth, and then um, they have their uh, lunch in, in the parlor. And like I said, all of the, the birds that are predators are kind of like going at her in, in the visual, in the background, and, and all the birds of prey that uh, get attacked are surrounding her, you know? It's, it's all that kind of subtext, and... Um, uh, well, how about uh, when he says, you know, that great line, he's like, You know what I think? I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them, and none of us can ever get out. We scratch and, and claw, but only at the air, only at each other. And for all of it, we never budge an inch. Sometimes we deliberately step into those traps. The private trap thing. Do you think that changed Marion's mind about stealing? Do you think he was the determining factor there? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, I mean, even because as she's walking away, I mean, or as she begins to leave, she turns and she's, or, you know, she's talking to him and she says, I have, you know, basically I have to go back and get myself out of my own personal trap. You know, right. I mean, talking to him is exactly what made her change her mind, which is really sad when you consider that, I, I always hate it when a character who has done something regrettable is on the verge of finding redemption and through no fault of their own get taken out before they have the opportunity to do so. Because in reality, when we see her in the beginning and it starts and it's all about her, you know, that's what we're under the impression of. But really, it's not, I mean, she is incidental right you know and and it's just i don't know it makes me kind of sad because i really do connect with her character i really do feel for her character 
And then suddenly it's just like, eh, she's just gone. And it's, right. it's sad for me, you know? Well, I'm going to jump ahead and then jump back. And to elaborate on your point about... I'm going to jump up, jump up and get down. Jump up, jump up and get down. I'm the cream of the crop. I rise to the top. <laughs> We're coming through. What you got to do? <laughs> Skeleton crew. <laughs> no, uh... Alex is making fun of... <laughs> Uh-oh, don't don't get me started. Yeah. So, so let's jump ahead. That note that Sam was writing to Marion when Lila showed up at the hardware store. Did you guys pause that and read it? No. Okay. I have at some point, but he basically wrote things like who cares if we're poor as long as we're together. And that really puts everything into into perspective. There obviously was some money issues, I guess, and that was her answer to take that money and to start this life. Like, it was all done out of love more than greed. Oh, absolutely. He did not feel comfortable starting a life with her while he was living in the storage room of a hardware store where he worked. There, he couldn't support her, and he did not want to take that on until he was in a place where he could. You know, just... Hey, baby, I got a back room. It's at a hardware store. Uh, <laughs> hey, baby, I got an 816 back here, if you know what I mean. He's like, you know, come on, baby, we'll we'll shack up like Sling Blade. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, uh, uh, do you guys want to get into the... Uh... Gee, that's not... You think that burp's getting older? Do people still get a chuckle out of that? I do. I don't care for everybody else. <laughs> You're not. I like it. We think it's great. Yeah. Uh, Shit hit the fan where where he said, "Do you think she'd be better off in some place?" And he goes, "You mean an institution? Yeah, a madhouse? Like, were you in Marion's shoes at that point?" And you were like, "Oh shit! Please say something to get this guy back to normal. He seems like he's gonna flip out." And you you, you kind of see that's the thing about this movie; it keeps putting you in other people's positions. And we're gonna get to that, uh, which is the whole point of this movie. And the shock of the death. The thing about the parlor scene, too, is did you guys ever notice that, like, all the, the memorable, quotable quotes, really, um, are from that one scene, pretty much? I mean, 90% of them, I believe, you know? Yeah. They're just all right there, Yeah, man. we all go a little mad sometimes. Yeah, all yeah. of them. Yeah. A boy's best friend like, is his mother. All of that shit, dude. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so I guess we're going to hit the shower scene now, which is probably one of the most famous scenes in horror. I mean, in, in movie cinema, really. I mean, or whatever, however you say it. Right. Uh, that's one of the most famous scenes ever. Yep. Horror or not. Now, here's the great thing about that scene. Not just, you know, all that kind of stuff. Think about it. Marion's in there. She has reached that character arc, I guess, where she sees her wrongdoings. She's going to go get a clean slate as best she can. She even subtracted what she owes, you know. And she ripped up that paper and flushed down the toilet. All that kind of stuff. So she was really going to redeem everything. Now, she's taking a shower and, you know, I equate that to like, you know, like when you ever see TV shows or movies when a girl gets raped and... She's, you know, answering all the questions by the police and the doctors. And then she goes home, and they always show that shower scene. The rocking and it's like, back and forth. She's got the makeup all down her face. Yeah, the eyeliner down her face. <laughs> and she feels like she's cleansing herself of that moment. And 
it, it almost feels like you take a shower and then you could be yourself again. Just get rid of that and then you could be yourself. And it's like, to me, it's, it translates to Marion's like cleansing herself of her sins. And at that moment, all you see is a silhouette approach that shower curtain. I mean, in reality, at that moment, before, unfortunately, that's why uh, Alfred Hitchcock didn't want anybody to tell the ending or anything like that. That silhouette could have been anybody. That could have been, you know, that could have been um, the Texas dude who she stole the money from. That could have been Sam's, you know, mysterious ex-wife. That could have been, you know, who, who knows? It could have been, you know, Norman's mother. It could have been so many people. It could have been all the people that she betrayed. It wasn't necessarily Norman or mother or anybody. It was just the people that she betrayed approaching. You know what I mean? Like you just said, man. Yeah, it could have been anybody. But no, it's a fucking psycho, dude. Like, it has no bearings on anything financial-wise. Like, this person's crazy. Yeah. And one last thing. If you notice, you could see eyes. I have the Blu-ray. You could see just a, a set of eyes on that faceless figure stabbing her. The, uh, they actually used a body, they used somebody else to kill her instead of Anthony Perkins. A lot of people think it was because he was doing a play that week, so he couldn't film that. But actually, Alfred Hitchcock wanted someone else to play that part because Anthony Perkins has such wide shoulders mm. that he felt that if he did that scene, it would give it away too much. Yeah. So it had nothing to do with that uh, play that people supposedly think, um, you know, had something to do with that. So, you know, that scene took a week to shoot. Uh, what's her name? Janet Lee was hired for three weeks, and one week of that was spent shooting that one scene. And there's that scene in Hitchcock, too, where he, he grabs the knife and he's doing it, and supposedly that's how they got that shot, too. Because yeah. she, uh, she wasn't scared enough, so he, uh, he had to take matters into his own hands, literally. Yeah. Uh, but before we even get into the this, this shower thing in particular, I, I did want to talk about one thing. Did you guys notice the slow transition from Norman to Mother the first time we actually see it take place? Because did you notice that when he's checking out Marion through the peephole, then he kind of like turns around, he kind of looks up at the house, kind of looking at Mother, and then he kind of takes off into the house, and then she you know, goes to take a shower. You notice that he didn't, like, run right upstairs and put the, you know, the dress and wig on and things like that. He kind of just goes into the kitchen and just sits there and hangs out for a little bit. Do you think that was, like, how come he didn't turn into mother as soon as those thoughts kind of kicked in? That's a good question, man. I don't know. See, that's another thing. Do you like we're led to believe that he can't really control it, right? Or can he? right? See, this yeah. is I never really grasped the concept of 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 that whole situation because yeah, it seems like sometimes like it, it fits the situation that like he needs to turn into mother now too. You know what I mean? Like when uh, when they finally come in and they're looking for him and you know like it just um, all that stuff that it makes you wonder like does he know what he's doing? I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure. I mean, can he control it? You, you're led to believe that he isn't, but at the same time, it just seems mighty convenient. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, what he has is disassociative identity disorder. I don't know how that actually works. <laughs> Me either. Even though I, I, I have it. <laughs> Jamie's like, I'm on a show with weirdos. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so the famous scene takes place, the shower scene, and once she kind of hits the floor, the camera pans over to the money 
that's sitting on the table. And here's how, what I was talking about earlier, how I want to get into this, about the cop and that scene with her boss. That is very important that they showed the money. That really kind of lowers the volume on everything in life. Like, once your life is gone, it kind of shows you that everything you did while you were here really doesn't seem that important. It all seems trivial. The bo Seeing the boss and the cop who's sort of like on her trail, oh, damn, he knows she has the, another car, he knows what car, he knows what plate. It really it brings the tension to a peak. And then the whole thing, you know, just the conversation with Norman and all that, and uh, her subtracting the money, it really leads you to believe that a whole other thing is going to happen here. And when it just cuts short like that, it's shocking. It really brings to reality the sense of a loss of life. It's not just body count. But and, and that's hard to do in a half hour, too. If she died in the first half hour, her whole character arc was within a half hour period. So that's even more credit to Hitchcock, man. Like, he created a character, uh, put her through the ringer, and had her come out, you know, um, with, with, a, with, with, with a sense of, um, you know, redemption somewhat. I mean, she was at least thinking that way. So, yeah, for everything that happened the way it did, it's fucking perfect, dude. Like I said, in such a short time, too, it's like, wow, some, some shit really went down here. And that's why I think it's so effective. Everybody thinks, oh, the psycho switch. You know, it's a, it's a fucking quotable thing now. People reference that in other movies and call it, you know, those type of things. Like, yeah, it's a psycho switch or wh whatever you want to call it. But people reference that scene a lot. And I think that's because it works so much. It's because you're so invested in this one chick. And then, boom, it's like, well, wait, what the fuck? Like, and, and that's the thing, too. Like, looking back when that happened... Um, I've seen so many movies since seeing this, you know, like this wasn't, I know this was like the first, this is like the original fucking slasher, you know, mm -hmm. but seeing it after a bunch, you know, a bunch of movies where it copies Psycho, I wasn't like stunned by the, uh, by, by what happened, you know, by killing her off. I wasn't like, oh my God, you know, but at the same time, it was cool. I was definitely invested like, oh, where are they going to go from here? You know what I mean? And putting it in, into perspective, it, it's that much more great. But um, I'm just saying from a personal view, seeing it that way. Uh, yeah, I'm rambling again. <laughs> I was, um, I remember the, the way this movie came to me. There was an old video store that was going out of business and they were selling all their movies, you know, to get them out of that building. I don't know what it was. I, I know I was a horror fan at that point. I think I was a little... Had, had to be about 20. I bought this movie on VHS tape for like five bucks. And I never even saw it, but I was like, oh, Psycho? Well, I, I know that's pretty popular. Uh, how bad could it be? I like classic horror, so okay. I just bought it. That was the first time I ever saw it. And I gotta tell you, the first time I ever saw it, I, I was shocked that she died because I figured that the whole movie would be about her and him and on some level. I just didn't expect her to be dead that quickly. And then, you know, it wasn't shocking. Like, I guess it was in the 60s, but I definitely threw me for a loop. But here's the thing. So what Hitchcock does is he takes you from her and that's why you're so invested. It's a big deal when she dies, like all the stuff I already said. Then now you're turned around to Anthony Perkins. Norman Bates is your main character. And the way he invests you in that, Dan, he basically... Uh, serial Killer 101. Okay, first you kill the person, then you clean the area in which you killed them. <laughs> you know, then you wrap them up, you put them in the trunk, you hide the body, and at that point you're invested in, in Norman. 
Right. Yeah, because he you feel like he's a victim. Like, uh, like at that point, you think mother did it. So yeah, he's just trying to cover up for it. So at that too, did you think mother? Because you guys knew it was him, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing is that right. by the time I saw the movie, and you know, I knew what it was. Here's you know some weird things. As he was like you know wrapping up this body, he throws that shower curtain on the rug and proceeds to wrap Marion in it. And I'm thinking to myself. To throw a bloody body that's gushing blood on a rug with a shower curtain, isn't it easier to wipe blood off of a tile floor? <laughs> Wouldn't you want to keep her in the bathroom and go ahead with that? Isn't that kind of like uh, risking evidence right there? <laughs> yeah, that's just adding to the problem. <laughs> yeah, you're just making it worse. I mean, I just well, I feel like there wasn't there wasn't enough room really in the bathroom for him to spread her out and then roll her up. And yeah. as long as, I mean, she was on plastic, so you probably didn't figure there was anything. That's honestly something that's never crossed my mind. Yeah, and a blood stain is orange if you wash it three or four times in the tub, but that's normal, ain't it, Norman? But the thing, the thing is with that, though, it kind of, I'm glad you said that, Alex, because it's almost like, well, we're just thinking about it like we've never thought of it. Well, it almost shows that Norman never thought of it either. So there you go, you know? But uh, here's one corny thing about me, and you'll learn more bizarre things about me as this goes on, I'm sure. When Norman um, is cleaning the sink and he, like, rubs the sink with his bare hands and kind of wipes the blood off with just water and no soap, you know, that whole part? Yeah. Do you know that every time I brush my teeth and I'm rubbing the toothpaste off of the sink, I think of Norman Bates? <laughs> That's creepy. Isn't that creepy? You're a creepy fucking weirdo, Alex. I think of him on a daily basis. <laughs> That's fucking weird as fuck. The other uh, thing that really puts the movie in perspective is when, you know, he pushes the car into the swamp. The last thing you see is Marion's license plate, which again reminds you of how important everything seemed at one point, And now it's just like, wow. Yeah. Life is very short. Uh so that's that's very cool. And that's another turning point. Now, Jamie, when the car was going down into the swamp and then it stops and that top, the roof is sticking out of it. Isn't that the point where you're like, come on, go down, go down, go down. Like, you're not going to stay up, are you? And that that's, I think, the turning point when you go from the investment to Marion into Norman. Yes. Because now you want it to go down. You want him to get away with it all of a sudden. Well, and he does that. That's the point where he starts looking so nervous. You know, he's looking around nervously trying to think, what the hell am I going to do if this car won't sink? So it sort of adds to the tension of the moment. You know, he starts chewing his candy or sucking on his candy or chewing his candy, whatever, a little bit faster. Um, right. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're kind of right there with him. And... Yeah, because he is a very sympathetic character. I mean, he's the, 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 he's not what people expected then or now, really, as far as a serial killer goes. He's quiet. He's good looking. He's, you know, he's, I don't know, maybe the social awkwardness would give it away now. But I yeah, think it's just it he's very unassuming. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect anything like that of him. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, even was like, mother, blood, blood. Yeah. You know, yeah. like at that point, it's like, you you know, he's he's uh, caught up in something and he's helping, you know, being a good, dutiful son, mm -hmm. uh, covering up. Uh, so then we get to Arbogast. 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 <laughs> Matt was out. 
<laughs> okay, ready? Matt Wazell. Matt Wazell. Jamie. Matt Wazell. Thanks. <gasps> Matt, Matt, Matt. Like Rob G said when he came on the show for the Psycho versus Remake show, which we'll be playing later on in the retrospective, Arbogast Norman Bates scene is some of the finest acting ever caught on film. I felt like, and I'll, I said this then, like you're in the hot seat with Norman. You know, I'm just, I was so intently focused on the screen and watching everyone's eyes and their movements and their mannerisms and the way they talked. And I was like, come on, Norman, don't screw up. Come on, get away with this. Answer this right. And then he's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, it was very dark and, and it was raining. And that's not a very good picture. No, I guess it's not, is it? You know, like everything that was going on, I'm like, get away with this, get away with this, get away with this, say the right thing, say the right thing. You know, right. like were, were you got, is it that intense for you or like, do you get sucked into that scene? Because that's like an amazing, uh, just the way they're stepping on each other's lines. Yeah, right. You know what yeah, I like? It makes me nervous. It's, it's, it's just like, for me, it is just like the scene in American Psycho when, um, uh, Willem Dafoe comes to Patrick Bateman's oh, office to talk to yes. him. And then he actually brings up Huey Lewis in the news. And he's like, um, he's like, no, I don't, what does he say? I don't like black music or <laughs> something. And um, it just, I get so nervous during that scene every time. It's the mm. same. But see, the thing about the Arbogast thing is he took the straightforward approach towards Norman to where in the next, you know, couple scenes, whatever, when uh, when Sam comes around, he's almost playing Norman. You know what I mean? Like he, they're playing dumb when they come. When, when Right. So it's almost like, OK, this is the straightforward approach. And then he knows something that Norman doesn't, you know, because he talked to Arbogast and he knows he was there. And so he's almost got one up so it was cool to see those two different scenes you know but yeah the Arbogast scene with him it was fucking like you said it was like fire back and forth boom 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 amazing and then you know like oh, I said with the, yeah. with the Loomis one it, it's just different it's uh it, it's it, different it's and plus cool. uh that guy's not as good of an actor as as uh the guy who played Arbogast hey Norman see yeah hey so Norman uh <laughs> what would you do if you had forty thousand dollars I probably want to start this place uh get a new place off the highway. Man, I always had such a crush on Sam. Did you? Yeah, he's good looking. One weird thing is, he he does that great scene with Norman, then he comes back and he parks his car to go look for Mother now, because Norman slipped up and he's like, she may have fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, oh, so she talked to her. Uh, uh, no. Oh, well, can I talk to her? No, no, she's like, as that's, I said, she's That's she's the confined. line I was thinking of, Alex, when I said that he, you know, it alludes back to him almost knowing or yeah. him being aware of, you see yeah. what I'm saying? That was the line, yeah. And that was the line I was thinking of when he said that. I just wanted to wait to get there. Oh, yes, nice. I'm glad. Yeah. Like, he he was like, she, did, he, she didn't fool my mother, so, but that could mean that he just still thought his mom True. killed her, right? Right. It's yeah. justifiable, believe me, but it has that dual right. meaning. Type yeah, exactly. So, the, but the thing is weird is that when he comes back looking for mother, do you notice that Arbogast parks his car and then he slides over and gets out of the passenger door? Really? <laughs> it's just so awkward, yeah. What? <laughs> Dude, I'll have to watch that again. I don't know. I didn't notice that at all. It's just really weird. I always wonder what that's for. And I, and, um, so then you get to the awkward, I think, scene where Arbogast gets killed. Now, 
It's a great scene. He's walking up the stairs. He's going to go find Mother. And then Norman comes out and then starts stab. I guess stabs his ass once, I think, at that point. And then he <laughs> kind of does that bizarre fall down the stairs backwards routine. Mm-hmm. Right. I never was a huge fan of that. And the, the another story behind that is that it was filmed while Hitchcock was after that heart attack he had or something like that. Right. And then he had to come back and reshoot it because he didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I think you should have reshot it again. With the camera what? angle, you mean? Do you not like the... Stumble, standing... The Amazing Race camera style. There. <laughs> I, I don't. What about when Mother came out, though, and stabbed him? That, that was great. That was great, right? Okay, so you just don't like the fall itself and the, and the camera angle. I just don't think it fits. Well, the idea, I believe, behind that shot is to sort of drag you into it like make you feel like you're falling along with him yeah you know kind of kind of pull your stomach out from under you people don't fall that way though that was like uh he was like sliding down like i don't know he wasn't yeah you're right he wouldn't you didn't see him dropping to each step yeah i didn't notice that falling down and stepping downstairs he would have been bopping up and down or something like yeah it's too fluid you're right yeah and then sam shows up and then it's like now he's pushing Arbogast's car into the swamp, and it's like, Jesus Christ, how many cars am I going to have to fit in this goddamn thing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like... He's going to have to invest in some camo netting, like like in Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, he's getting old with the swamp. Yep. And then, as the prequel, you see he pushed some other chick's car in there, so now you got three cars in there. And yet, somehow, at the end of this movie, the one that's being pulled out is only Marion's, but... Go figure. Uh, Norman realizes that the trickle effect is happening. You know. Oh, as uh, Lila and Sam go to that that cop that we all made. You know, our bogus. Uh, it's it's. I think it's said at that point that the mom's been dead for ten years, right? Right. Yes. Yes. They say it at the end too. Yeah. Yeah. So Norman is at obviously twenty-two, uh, although Anthony Perkins is twenty-eight. Yeah, so I guess, I don't know, not much happens. They go there, like you said, there's an interaction. I'll, I'll tell you the truth, man. The interaction with Sam and Norman, I didn't like it. I don't I don't like Norman's lines back to him. I feel like it could have been better. I don't, I kind of get a little pissed off at Sam with the way that he talks to Norman sometimes. Like, Sam wasn't very subtle about it. He he wasn't really coy in his interaction with Norman. It was just like, he he kind of got right to the jugular pretty quick. And it was just awkward. I think it was too much. Mm-hmm. It's so weird, too, because the writing was so amazing with Norman and Arbogast. But then it kind of, like, was a little weak with these two. And I hated Norman's response. I hated everything about it. I hated the way Sam, like Jamie said, was being so abusive to Norman. Like... You look frightened. Have I been saying something frightening? I don't know what you've been saying. I've been talking about your mother, about your motel. How are you going to do it? Do what? Buy a new one. In a new town where you won't have to hide your mother. Why don't you just get in your car and drive away from here, okay? Where will you get the money to do that, Bates? Or do you already have it? Socked away. Shut up. A lot of it. $40,000. I bet your mother knows where the money is and what you did to get it. I think she'll tell us. Yeah. And it just seemed... It was retarded. I hated it. 
the only cool part about that entire thing was when Sam's walking along the the motel, and all of a sudden Norm is just standing at the door, like you looking for me. Like that's kind of scary. That'd be that's like a good scene for a trailer, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's good shit. Uh, so um, the thing I noticed though, as uh, either Arbor Gast or Lila are going up the stairs or something like that. You notice that that Cupid statue that ap- appears in the third movie as the demise of a character. You notice that that Cupid is not on that banister. It's instead to the to the right of the screen, like about five six feet away, oh. like next to the stairs instead. So that was actually moved over. Damn! How do you notice? Was it? <laughs> what the? I'm a loser, damn. Jesus! It was a statue on a pedestal, though. Like, um. I don't. I don't think it was. No. By the time that girl, that person died in part three, that was on the banister. Are you sure? Yeah. Huh. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, and I just want to just say something real quick. I forgot to kind of mention in the beginning of the movie. Like at this point, uh, around when these people are doing this, it says like it's the seventeenth. And in the beginning of the movie, it was like, it was showing you, like, dates on the screen, like, uh, what was the date? It was like Friday, December 11th at 2.43, and it's like, who cares? Like, <laughs> like, what's the difference what day it was or what time it was? Like, why was that necessary to put on there? Because they said she's been gone for a week, like she disappeared Friday a week ago or whatever. Like, why do we need to see this stuff written on the screen? Like, what significance did it have? Right. Yeah. Nothing, right? No, I did. there was no payoff. <laughs> no payoff whatsoever. No payoff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, she goes upstairs, looks through a book. There's, like, nothing on the book, nothing anywhere in the way she looks at it. She's kind of horrified. There's a record. It says erotica or something along those lines. Uh, obvious, you know, sexual references, things like that. And um, Norman bangs Sam over the head, runs into the house goes upstairs, gets Mother's clothes on, and Lila finds Mother, and the big reveals that Mother's dead in the basement, and Norman comes in, wielding the butcher knife, and he is Mother, in fact. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of that? A lot of people make fun of the face he makes when he marches in that room, and Sam comes up from behind him. What do you it's guys think? because... It- I don't know. If people today are just so silly. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there, there, there's anything worth making fun of there. Or, you know, it's not comical. It's horrific. You know, I mean, this guy is crazy as hell. And he's coming at you with a butcher knife and a wig and a dress. <laughs> and then... The face, I mean, it's just, it's like the battle going on inside him, you know, inside himself. He's uh, He's got his own personal war going on, and I think it just reflects on his face. It almost looked like Mother was so happy to, like, like yes, this bitch is mine, you know? And he was, like, so happy and smiling about it, and then all of a sudden... Oh, that one. I was thinking you were talking about the, when, um... Like when Sam comes in and sort of wrestles with him and... Oh, that too. Yeah, the whole thing. The face there. As far as like the evil grin face, oh yeah, I mean, that's totally mother. I mean, it was important, I feel like, to to exaggerate that face so that we could make a clear distinction between the two characters. I mean, after all, it's one guy playing two distinctly different characters, you know, regular Norman and then um, Norman overtaken by mother. And we 
it's really, I mean, even though he is wearing the dress and the wig, it's really important, I think, that that was exaggerated in his face as well to show, right. you know, just add more character to it. And so, no, I don't think it was silly at all. Again, I do, I feel like it's horrific. That grin is evil and scary. Yeah. That's the face I make when I come. <laughs> I know. I'm usually banging my head on the headboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's seen stars. That was over in Texas. Now we're at the Bates Motel. That was in Texas when I was on the fucking hook. <laughs> Could you blow me? Now, I know a lot of people think we glossed over a lot of the um, psychological aspects to Norman, but actually, guys, what do you say we get into that kind of stuff more along the sequels? Because I think we can dive into it a little bit deeper because there's more to play with, so... Let's not get into it too much now. And there are those aspects, but let's face it, uh, it's been said fucking over and over. We're not going to be dropping fucking bombs that nobody's heard of before. They're all themes that have been expressed one way or the other, so. Yeah, we don't want to do that. I, I feel like Norman, the character, gets more interesting later on. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those rare times that more explanation is more interesting. Yep. Yep. And most people don't get that. Uh, so, uh, the, the great scene now, the finale is when the doctor explains and lays everything out. I got the whole story, but not from Norman. I got it from his mother. Norman Bates no longer exists. He only half existed to begin with. And now the other half has taken over. Probably for all time. Did he kill my sister? Yes. And no. Well, now, look, if you're trying to lay some psychiatric groundwork for some sort of plea, this fellow would like to cop this. <laughs> A psychiatrist doesn't lay the groundwork. He merely tries to explain it. But my sister is... Yes. Now, after the murder, Norman returned as if from a deep sleep. And like a dutiful son, covered up all traces of the crime he was convinced his mother had committed. Why was he dressed like that? He's a transvestite. Uh, not exactly. A man who dresses in women's clothing in order to achieve a sexual change or satisfaction is a transvestite. But in Norman's case, he was simply doing everything possible to keep alive the illusion of his mother being alive. And when reality came too close, when danger or desire threatened that illusion, he'd dress up, even to a cheap wig he bought. He'd walk about the house, sit in her chair, speak in her voice. Now, some people say, was that necessary? I think absolutely. I think it was an amazing ending. Mm -hmm. It was It was totally necessary. I mean, necessary as in, like, necessary for it to happen, or necessary as in... Um, necessary for the audience. Audience. Um, I feel like it was definitely necessary for the audience because we're talking about an audience in 1960. I'm not saying people were stupid in 1960, but mental health was not where it is now. Not by yeah. Not so to say the least. Yeah. There, people wouldn't quite understand these things unless they were explained. Like every. Well, it's just like okay, when the doctor comes out and he's talking. And then one of the cops is like, you know, oh, so he's a cross-dresser. And he's like... Oh, he's a transvestite. A transvestite. And he's like... Um, not exactly. You know, no, not exactly. You know, and so he went on to explain it. I really feel like it was important that we, again, make the distinction for this character. It's important to know that he's not a man who just likes to wear women's clothes and kill people. 
he is at that moment his mother. Right. Wouldn't it have been fucking boss, though, if they ended it right after that other scene, though? Like, I think without it, too, um, you know, I don't know. It, maybe it wouldn't have worked then, you're right. But this day and age, knowing what I know, I think if they ended it there, it would have just definitely been one of those, like, what did I just fucking see moments, you know? Like, even yeah, with the face. do you know why we would, we would know that now? Because of this movie. <laughs> oh, I knowledge. This, I mean, this movie is the reason that we would automatically connect in our minds. Man wearing, You're right. you know, man wearing dress and wig with a knife. He's his mother, I and mean, that is, um, it's just part of everyday life now. That piece of knowledge, whether you're a horror fan of not or not, everyone knows the name Norman Bates. A horror everyone, fan? A horror fan? I'm a fan of horrors. I like horrors. <laughs> everyone knows the name. Hey, you know what? Those are some hardworking girls. I mean, yeah. everyone <laughs> knows the name Norman Bates. Everyone knows Psycho, and whether they, even if they've never seen it, they still know. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think the reason that our brains would put that together right now is because of this movie right here. Right. God damn it, Alex. She's making us look dumb again, dude. Yeah, you said it, not me. Fuck. <laughs> it's funny because uh, our first retrospective, we talked on how Friday Part 5, how that guy explains everything at the end of that one, and that's one of those cases where I wouldn't know what the fuck was going on unless he did that. <laughs> you know, like... Nope. But there's no reason for you to because they don't give you any clues up to that point. Not <laughs> not yeah. to the extent that you need to understand that fucked up scenario. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't put that together. Because how would you know that that was the old father that was the ambulance guy? And I didn't even <laughs> know that that was Roy in the spikes when the mask came off, like I said. Yeah, right? Like Are you like, like, who? The ambulance like, driver? What? Yeah, who's that guy? I didn't even know that was the ambulance driver. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, Nothing. Well, I'm saying when they explained it even, you're like, really? Yeah. That was one of those explanations that you needed to do, because I don't know what the fuck's going on. That was on. the whole movie, yeah. Within <laughs> the explanation, yeah. <laughs> this one was just the icing on the cake. Right, right. You could have put it together, clearly, when the wig falls off. That's Norman, yeah. But... Would you understand why this is all happening? No. I think it... I know what, Jamie, my answer is that it was absolutely necessary to the audience and the movie and everything. Right, right. I think I it was agree. A, yeah, it was a payoff, and I think we wouldn't know what was going on. Plus, I love those little mama... Those little uh, mother moments we get when, you know, she's all alone. They bring her a blanket... Oh, you know, um, and she's talking to the fly. You know, talking about the fly. Like you know, I, you know, they'll see. I won't even. I won't even harm a fly. You know, I love that moment. It is so fucking crazy. <laughs> Let's get to the one thing before that. The aspect of basically when this guy is describing all that shit. Basically, mother sold Norman out, man. Like, oh she, yeah. She, she told him everything. She told him about the other missing persons. Like fuck she didn't give a fuck about this dude or what is gonna happen to him like you know how norman is always covering for mother she sure shit didn't do that for him no you know right no and, and i feel that's a, a beautiful illustration of their relationship straight through yeah that's that's very telling that personality in him would naturally do that you know what i mean so 
So when all that shit went down, yeah, it's it. You're right, though. That's crazy to, to think about, man. And like you said, Jamie, in that last scene, that's one of my favorites right there, the way he looks at the camera and shit. Um, mm. You want to talk about, like I said, you know, that's like a fanboy perspective from my, from my way of thinking with the whole fruit seller scene and shit like that. Like I said, if they ended it there, yeah. But like you guys said, logically, I, I do think it's necessary or whatever. But I'm so glad they went back to that last scene again. Because think about it. I mean, that's a classic fucking scene. And just, I love when movies end like that on great shots. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, Friday 4 shot, you know, coming in. Mm. And stuff like that. I, I just, I eat Yeah, it. right. Corey Feldman, yeah. So. Yeah, it's great. When the camera fades out and it's like the mother's skull face. Yes. Right. Exactly. It's just great, man. And like you guys said, it's it's like a it's like a mainstream movie. Everybody knows it. And uh, you know, this is one of those that it gives uh, horror a good name. You know, it's a classy flick. I'm just upset that the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror they never went anywhere with this. Like, how perfect would it be if like Mr. Uh, Principal Skinner was Norman, right? And his mother was uh, mother that would be like amazing because they're, they're alluding to that the whole time um, yeah why don't they I don't know that'd oh. be great alright so what are your overall reviews oh I did want to that one more sorry okay so we didn't mention the well we talked about the fruit seller scene but there is an iconic moment within that scene when Lila reacts to seeing the mother's corpse and you know her arm flies back she hits she hits the lamp, and then you go. You get this swinging, the swinging light effect. Oh yeah. Um, it's just, and that has been used numerous times since then. It was a very influential scene and um, really striking. It has a lens flare in there too. I think where you could see the light bulb, the light of it swing perpendicular to the actual thing. And uh, Hitchcock, when he filmed that, the well, actually, that was filmed when he was sick. And he said, you didn't put the flare in there. And he had to reshoot that scene just to have that. He wanted that for some reason. It was very important. And I think it had something to do with it was two of the light bulbs. And I think it was because a lot of the characters in this movie had dual identities. Um, like, you know, Marion Crane, Norman Bates, uh, you know, there was just so, and Sam, like so many people had dual identities. And I think, I think that was kind of a, that's just my, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I think. Uh, all right, so uh, Dan, what'd you think of the movie, and how do you rate it, and all that kind of stuff? Where's it sit in your pile there? Uh, it's a, it's great, man. I love this movie. It's fucking psycho, dude. It, you know, I'd say an eight point five, and that's you know with my personal preference in mind too. It, it, I know it's a great film. Don't get me wrong. It's just uh, my personal, my personal mm-hmm. fucking views. Eight point five, yeah. Jamie. <laughs> Jamie. Nine. There is very little wrong with this film. Very little. And plus, I, no one can deny the influence that it's had. It's beautiful to look at. And it's oh, some really incredible shots. It's just such clever directing. So, yeah, nine. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I also give this a nine. I think the subtext is staggering. I think the directing is amazing. I think the acting is just off the charts. The subtle amount of kills and the way it was done, very realistic, except for that falling down the stairs backwards. <laughs> it could have been done better. I get what they were doing, yep. but it wasn't perfect. 
Yeah. Music perfect. Fit perfect. Yep. Perfect cast. I think it's uh nine. It's yep. about, you know, as high as I can give. I mean, uh it's so important. This movie is just like, uh this is this is the one. You gotta watch this. It's it's as important, if not more, than Halloween. Yep. I, I totally agree with that. And you know, we like Halloween a lot more, but you can't deny it, like Jamie just said. Alright, so we'll be back with uh Psycho Two after this, and once again this Entire retrospective is being sponsored by The Psycho Legacy, the documentary on all four Psycho movies. Check it out. Amazon.com. Order yours today. My name is Norman Bates. I'm just a normal guy. My name is Norman Bates. My name is Norman Bates. I'm just a normal guy. My name Psycho 2. Alright, this movie came out June 3rd, 1983. It was written by Tom Holland and Robert Bloch. Bloch. <laughs> and directed by Richard Franklin, who was, I don't know if you guys know this, he was way into Alfred Hitchcock. Psycho 2 is one of those rare cases where they really found the right director to do the sequel, someone who was a real student of Hitchcock. They found the perfect person who really understood and respected the master, you know, rather than someone trying to just emulate and copy him. You could still get a hint of Hitchcock throughout that whole film. And I think it's a far superior sequel than a lot of stuff we've seen. We had the prints of, of all the Hitchcock films in our hands, some of the best studio technicolor prints, and we analyzed them backwards and forward. It probably could not have been in better hands than Richard's. We could have taught a course in Alfred Hitchcock. He really is extremely knowledgeable about the man's filmmaking technique. He was like the perfect choice uh, mm. to, to direct this movie. Um, the budget was $5 million, that's estimated, and it grossed $32 million in the USA alone. Alfred Hitchcock never wanted a sequel of Psycho to be made, ever. Never yeah. wanted it touched. So they actually, and it sounds bad, they had to wait until he died. Yeah. So, uh, but you know how, like, in all his movies, he had that, he was in every single one, like, in the background or something like that? 
I saw you posted that. I never noticed that before. That was cool, man. But I know he, he does that a lot. Mary opens the door to Norman's mother's bedroom for the first time in the movie. You can see all the way to the right of the screen Alfred Hitchcock's yeah, silhouette. Yeah. Silhouette, yeah, of his profile. Yeah. So that that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's, here's what I really love about the movie. Just overall, just when it comes to the approach. Hmm? Think about this. This is 1983. The easiest thing they could have done is get a bunch of dumb kids, break in the psycho house, and, you know, oop, Norman escaped, and they're gonna get, they're gonna get killed by mother. But instead, they decided to take this real, like, high road with Psycho 2. And I always thought that was such an interesting way to pull off a sequel, where all the other horror movies, it's just, okay, the killer's back, and he's killing again. And this was such an interesting psychological angle into it. And the fact that her character started off as really being the bad guy and then kind of smartened up and tried to change it towards the end is something you've never really seen in a horror sequel before. If you're going to tackle something like Psycho 2, man, you got to be on your game and you better love it too. And, and, and uh, you know, in interviews and whatnot, Tom Holland clearly clearly loved the series and like you said you know storyboarding every aspect of it and man they they did you know the whole twist thing in the first one i love how there's just so many layers to the sequel to where where they start off you know starting the character off exactly well not exactly you know in a chronological sense but well you know not right after the first one but yeah but like the next relevant thing without being in the hospital you know Exactly. Like, yeah, who wants next... to see that? How about that? Would you have liked that? Would you have wanted to see Norman run around the hospital? No. No, because, yeah, I want to see him in his element, and, and that's how, how shit happens when you get out of either jail or fucking rehab or whatever. It's it's integrating back into society. and People hate you. The people you screwed when you, you know, the reason you're in jail, those people are still out to get you. That, that's great stuff to incorporate that. And then you get to bring back uh, Vera Miles to, well, yeah. to play uh, Lila Loomis. That's... That's amazing, dude. She was great. Yeah, she really was. Uh, but before we get to the characters, I, let's just, a couple more technical things. I just want people to know the original uh, house was used, but the motel from part one had to be reconstructed. So mm -hmm. uh, you could assume that the base motel sign is not the original. Although in the beginning of this part two, you know how they show the black and white. Then all you know what they probably just filmed the same one and then actually put it into color. I'm not sure. So forget that. Um. And here's a one sad point. The shower head from part one was taken and used, and it was going to be used in this movie. Mm -hmm. And somebody on set stole it the day before shooting. Ouch. Yeah. So that original shower head is in some jerk-off's house. And <laughs> if, if he died, it was thrown out in the garbage, I guess. <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. So the overall... <clears throat> plot is that Norman was locked up for 22 years and the courts decided that he has been restored to sanity or should I say Dr. Raymond decided that you got Norman now Jamie what do you think of Norman's character like he was so different in part one the way he talked the voice his mm -hmm. looks it's like it to me he's almost unrecognizable from the first one to this one. I don't see any of that guy <laughs> from the original in this one, but I still love it. In the first one, he had little quick 
movements kind of like a rabbit you know i mean like his he was constantly he was like nervous all the time <laughs> and constantly constantly moving and then like he was he was sucking on candy all the time and um sketchball yeah and then in this one he's he is quite different you're very right about that and i i um but you just go with it because you figure look you do well yeah 22 years in an yeah. asylum could mellow you a little bit, I would think. <laughs> I, <don't you> know. <laughs> I, mean, I think so. Um, plus, um, he was okay. You know, when they, <clears throat> I mean, he was very different in that the old Norman was um, psycho. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, this Norman was much more grounded and, you know, it just, oh, it makes me, it always makes me think of Sling Blade. Did you know that Mary Loomis was supposed to be played by Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah, man. Can you imagine that? I think, honestly, Dan, it would be too distracting and it wouldn't be its own movie. Really? Yeah. A young Jamie Lee Curtis like that, man, and and the whole, yeah, you know, I I think it would have been great, personally. I would have I would have loved to see her, yeah. Just knowing that it, it would never happen to, it's just fun to fucking play with that, you know, that 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 concept, that idea. Shut, shut up, James. But uh, yeah, um, think about it, man. I mean, you know, the whole mother daughter thing and the continuity aspect. I mean, you could you could probably see so many similarities, and there'd be that whole. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because her mom was from part one. Yeah, I guess. Duh, you know, I, I thought of that, but then I didn't think of it. Yeah. Remember she was in, um, she was in H2O, man, and they had the car. Oh, in the so fog. Cool. They were both in the fog. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I guess. But I don't know. I guess I got so used to Meg Tilly, and it's it's weird because I wasn't... She did great. <clears throat> yeah. The only thing I don't like about Meg Tilly, honestly, is her haircut. <laughs> yeah. Because she's pretty hot. Mm-hmm. If you take the hair off... And right. give her a nice haircut. You know, she has a nice body, which we all got a little glimpse of. I think that was more of a uh, commentary on the times, if you yeah, ask me. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> Otherwise, it was a nice nighty. I see some girls in, uh, you know, and, and believe me, you can tell they're smoking hot, but it's like, oh, man, some of the jeans, the way they fit and oh, shit. Oh, God, yeah, they went all the way up to, the, like, the mid of the stomach. Wee jeans and shit. <laughs> Whatever the fuck they were, yeah, man. Jordash. Yeah, Jordash. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah. oh, that brings back so many memories. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. I remember my stepdad on the light up dance floor at the, at the skating dance. rink wearing his Sergio Valentes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking partying, dude. Nice. And then you got you got the the gullible I uh, think captain or depth sheriff hunt, the gullible cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Psycho, the the fat cop, right, right. Yeah, he he's a great character. I actually love his character, although he is insanely stupid, and we'll get to that. Uh, and Doctor Raymond, Norman's doctor. I love Robert Loggia, man. Dude killed that role. Oh yeah, he he's just great. And then you got Dennis Franz, who killed Warren Toomey's role. That was and that was his first role, I believe. Was it? Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. See, I don't know. I don't. I don't really like that guy though as an actor. Um, I just nothing. Dennis I don't know. It's just yeah. I, well, maybe I, I shouldn't have worded it that way. But all the um, 
uh, maybe it's just like a typecast thing where it's just like fat, obnoxious New Yorker type. You know what I'm saying? Though, I, like I don't like the characters he plays. Uh, he's a great actor. I'm right. saying, but but I guess that's a testament to his fucking you know acting ability in this film because it's like he was such a dick and you just hated him. He was just fucking tormenting him, pushing Norman so fucking much. And you know, like you said, he wasn't the same psycho as he was in the first one, dude. In this one, you know, who knows if he would have just you know got home and slowly worked it out. He got all these assholes pushing him fucking over the edge. Uh, and all these different directions, man. Like, as soon as he walks in, he has to put up with this shit. Yeah, it's right, Unbelievable, exactly. dude. Like, come on. And dude, okay, let, let's get to that. Would you as Norman, or if you were his doctor, would you let him live in that freaking house again? Uh. Why would you put him back in there? That's like, dude, change the scenery. Your whole existence was in that house. What went on in those the bedroom, what went on in, in everywhere, the murders, the, the mother's bedroom, everything, dude. Take him out of that environment. Start his life up again. Get him out of the institution. Send him off to, like, uh, New Jersey. <laughs> See? No, they don't really go crazy. Well, I think though I, I don't know about this, but I think you know, as a doctor, you would have you would want to have him back there to work out some issues. Like you know, I'm not talking to live there though. I mean, for like a you know maybe a day, go back and and work through some issues. But fuck no, don't don't fucking throw him in back in the house alone for that matter too. Right? Yeah, because they have no money for social worker or something. <laughs> like yeah, somebody in it. You know, he's like, I don't know if he said this exactly, but I'll be checking up on you or I'll be, uh, you know, yeah. I'll, said something to that e effect or whatever, which, you know, is a comforting thought. But shit, dude, it's like, think about all this other fucking crap going on. Like we just said, everybody's pushing him over the fucking edge. I would have went psycho, too, if I was Norman. Yeah. Uh, so he gets the job at that diner. And then, uh, of course, Mary somehow... Well, I guess it was all planned. You know, she uh, hopped on that job about four days before he got there. You know, she knew that was going to happen, so mm -hmm. she went in there just to uh, hook up with him, really, to have that phony phone call outside of the diner to, you know, let him know that she needs a place to stay. <laughs> so It just kind of takes you in so many different directions, Yeah, but they're all solid ones. I he's, He <clears throat> creates in Norman such a sympathetic character mm -hmm. that regardless of all the stuff that's gone on, you still find yourself on his side. Yeah. You know, because he's been dealt a shit hand his entire life, really. And it's like, you know, he's a nice guy. So Jamie, let's just would, let him be nice. Would you say even more so than the first one? Uh, even more sympathetic? Yeah. I um, so I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there was something kind of sinister about him in the first one, right. you know, like in yep. the surface. Because this one, he he's recovered and he's truly trying to move on, and right. everyone's picking on him, really. So, <laughs> right there. Yeah. And it just even Warren Toomey sets him up as a sympathetic character. Lila Loomis sets him up as sympathetic. How nice he was to marry sets him up as sympathetic. There's a lot of reasons that he's lovable in this movie, you know, and it's just, that's there's a million of them. Uh, even like cute little things he does, like he how he takes the the guy the orders off the wheel and he goes read off the order and he puts it under the hot lamp. As oh a, yeah, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I noticed that and I'm like that is just that's exactly what I said. I said it was cute because it was just a cute little character thing. Yeah, you know, those are perfect ones and that was a great one. It's weird 
And it's so funny, like, the, the, the meals in these movies, like... Two meatloaf sandwiches, and one mashed potato with gravy, and one baked potato. <laughs> and it's like, and in, the, in the next yeah. movie, he's like, uh, she's like, what'll it be, Norman? <laughs> Chicken fried steak sounds good today. And he goes, okay, and a glass of milk. And it's like, what is chicken what? fried steak? What the hell is a meatloaf sandwich? Like, well, whoa, 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 guys, whoa. Well, what? Well, what you do don't you mean? know what chicken fried steak is? No, 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 no. You don't no, chicken... know what a meatloaf sandwich is? No, that's a southern thing, isn't it? Chicken oh, fried. Well, they're not from the south. They're in California, but um, right. yeah, yeah, I good. think you guys are just out of the loop. Yeah, I, I would believe it, but asshole. <laughs> What do you want from? Me? Do you know country fried steak? Because that's actually what we call it. But I've heard. I see. I've heard of it. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, I, I, my whole thing on that is like Alex just said. Um, what do you guys think? If you're going out to a fucking diner, would you order a meatloaf sandwich? <laughs> I mean, I love meatloaf sandwiches. That's after I have a fucking meatloaf the night before. Ooh, make a fucking sandwich. It's like, yeah, let's. You know, this place up the street, they got the bombest meatloaf sandwiches this side of Texas. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, who orders me? Yeah, you're right. That's How is that like a like the original meal? It should be the leftover or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it probably is the leftover from yesterday's nice. dinner menu. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, hey, well, let's go to a nice diner and get their leftovers from yesterday. <laughs> Throw bread on it and call it a fucking meal. Bread gravy. <laughs> there you go. Here's eight eight fifty. Yeah. Yeah, so look, you don't like Warren Toomey, but dude, you're gonna tell me that that scene where Norman fired him, that was some of the best shit. He was like, Oh, yeah. He was like, At least my customers have a good time. What'd yours get, Bates, huh? Dead! That's what they got! Dead! Murdered by you, you loony! To which I promptly had to go, Loony, 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 loony. <laughs> From. Yeah, I, stand by me. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, <laughs> oh, that's, Corey Feldman. That's from, okay, yeah. yeah. Nice one, Jamie. And, <laughs> nice and how one. about this? Think of all this. You I know. pull some of the most random bullshit <laughs> out of my ass. But. We love that stuff as long as we know what it is. I <laughs> know. Uh, I don't love the stuff out of your ass though. <laughs> okay. How about this? You know how there was so much subtext in the first original movie? Think of like, and and this happens a lot though. So this isn't the greatest, most brilliant idea, but having. Mary Loomis, when she's sleeping in the house of Norman Bates, and the doors, the chairs up against the door, she's reading a book called "In the Belly of the Beast." Like, how cool is that? <laughs> you know, that's just oh. great stuff. Um, and that one pops up again. What? Oh yeah, it does. And and we'll get to that. I want to see if Dan. Now that I know you noticed it, I want to see if Dan does in the next. Uh, well, hold on. Before before we go on to that, I just want to say something real quick about that scene. That's probably one of my favorite ones, dude. That's one of those um, unnerving, you know, kind of kind of feeling. Like you feel you're in that room with that chick, man. You know, when she puts that chair oh, up against yeah. the door, you you feel like. Uh, and, and and that's the thing too. Like you knew. That Norman wasn't going to go psycho that early in the movie. I mean, I guess there's a chance, you know, <laughs> taking into account the first one, but you know it's pretty much not going to happen. And even still knowing that, as the audience, you still felt for this chick. You still felt scared for this chick, you know? I love it. It's like the psycho legacy says we're supposed to believe that the guy who did all this horrific stuff in the first movie, it's okay. It's, it's safe to go in his house and sleep in one of his rooms, right? You know, like, yeah. it is okay, isn't it? Like, you know, that's the thing about, like, Norman. It's like, 
Jamie, would you, even if you were setting him up like she was doing, would you sleep in the house of Norman? And how about this? Even later on, she does it again with Norman in the room with a butcher knife in his hand. That's, that's, I don't know if that's a what the F moment or just like something to ponder. Like, would you sleep in the same room as an insane person? Like, you know, look, there's chemical imbalances going on. This isn't, there's nothing rational about him at all. Would you trust it? I would probably stay in the house, but sleeping is a whole other story. <laughs> I don't think I would be getting any sleeping done. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, but guys, it, it makes you think about what um, what their thoughts were going in in the beginning of the film. Because did they really believe that this guy's you know good? Because obviously they're going to frame him and shit like that. So they were they well maybe you know they they felt like it, the the risk was worth it in the end. Yeah, she really did put her daughter out there, didn't she? That's what I'm saying, dude. It's like you so mean they must... you mean Lila? I mean, are you saying that Lila? Yeah. Did must have thought there was something good about him. They must have thought he was somewhat sane in order to well, trust themselves around him. I don't know. Well, yeah, they must have thought he was sane. They must have believed he was restored to sanity if she would, you know, if you really didn't believe he was... I don't think she believed the insanity defense. I think she just, I think she is, is fighting against that completely and she just thinks he's, you know, just... An asshole who kills people? Yeah. Hmm. You know, because she, doesn't she say something like, um... Yeah, well... Oh, it's a bunch of hocus-pocus. In the courtroom. Yeah, exactly. When they're talking about, you know, how he was found um, not guilty by reason of insanity. And then she's like, oh, that's courtroom hocus-pocus or whatever. So, I mean, she thinks that they're full of shit and she's going to do anything she has to do to get him back behind bars where she feels like he belongs. You know, it, it's, right. it's just like the parents who let their kids sleep in Michael Jackson's bedroom thinking, <laughs> you know, e either the, the kids who think like... Well, he won't do anything. The parents who think he won't do anything to you, or if he does, at least we'll get a payday. You know, it's almost like the same kind of concept. You guys want to play with bubbles? <laughs> you guys can come and play with bubbles. Jamie hates when we do the Michael bits. <laughs> All right. I don't bubbles care. Bubble hangs from it the fan up above, and it just kills me when, go, goes... when you go off on a tangent. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you. Yeah, hey, listen, you gotta relax. You know how many there. people came to me and they were like, "What the fuck is the Michael Jackson picture doing in between this?" Other <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, Jesus. Because we're fucking <laughs> awesome. That's why. Because we rule. We want to play with bubbles. If you want to go play with bubbles in the bubbles, we could go play with bubbles. You got to admit, we're the only horror podcast that would ever do something like that. So, hey. Something stupid. At least we're unique, although we're stupid. All right. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay. So, how about this? Let's talk about some really great scenes. How about, or some questionable scenes. How about, like, when Mary's taking a shower? I want to know who was spying. Like, for, well, I guess, okay. I guess we have to give away the big reveal because we yeah. can't f further discuss anything without ha without basically uh, acknowledging who the person is. We're not doing spoiler spoiler. If you haven't seen this in thirty years, why? Yeah, right. Why listen to this? Then don't Come even on. listen. To it. Yeah. So stupid. There is a woman working in the diner, and her name is Mrs. Spool, and she's an old whack job, and she is the sister. <laughs> <laughs> She's the sister of fucking whack job Norman's mother. <laughs> so she's Norman's aunt. And right. she believes that Norman is her child. I think she really believes it. Yeah, she does. Because she's crazy, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Yep. We don't know that yet. I mean, we don't really find right. that out until. Right. But here's the thing we have to say it 
in order to discuss these certain parts. So she turns out to be the person who, who kills people. And the viewer is to believe that when the murders are happening, it's either Norman or Lila Loomis, like I, or just someone we don't know. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. What do you what What are you supposed to think? Like honestly, I didn't give it enough thought. As a viewer, I was just kind of watching people get killed. I really didn't know if it was Norman or I couldn't imagine like Lila Loomis killing people just to frame up Norman. I mean, do you think she would do that? No, dude. No, yeah. I was thinking it's all about Norman again. You thought it was Norman? About it again. I mean, naturally, you know. And and, and well, that's would... what they were hoping he would do. Right. I mean, really. Right. I mean, she. <laughs> In a way, I guess she was really killing people to get what she wanted because right. what she was trying yeah. to do was set him off so he would. Like I said, dude, I've never seen these sequels before. So when I watched them, yeah, I just figured it's either that or some weird fucking, uh, you know, other character that we, we didn't necessarily know. Or yeah, it was weird. It, maybe it was a dream, you know, imagining it and all that shit. Even when he was getting the phone calls and it was like, no, this is my real mother. Like, I just figured it was still Lila. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. but I want the part I want to get to, though, is the shower scene. Of course, I like to get to this part. With Mary. Mm-hmm. Now, she's getting her naked rear ass spied on. Now, mm-hmm. the thing is, who was looking at her? It clearly wasn't Lila Loomis looking at her daughter to take a shower. It wasn't Norman either. It was a woman's eye when actually the eye went right into the hole and looked back at Mary when she was looking in from mom's bedroom. Now, here's the problem with that scene. This is a what the f moment. I never put. I never noticed that. Now, why wasn't it Norman? Why was he? Because he was downstairs, remember? And she said Norman. He goes, yeah. And she's like, You're, the 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 tea is ready. Cause... Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Here's the problem with that scene, though. What the f moment? That eye is a little young looking to be Miss Spool. You know, when it was looking back at her, that was not her eye. You know, they just put an extra in there. <laughs> Why yeah, I was gonna say I wouldn't. I wouldn't course. necessarily think that means anything. It's just probably whoever was handy and close to the hole, you know. Is <laughs> yeah, like, right. <laughs> it was like the it was like the set prop lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so here's the thing, though. <laughs> Porkies. Do you think the movie takes a weird lull at at some point? And I think the point. It's weird because the every scene is is important and it's all good but there's some kind of like there's some kind of momentum slowdown i think exactly when the two when the kids are in the basement and they're gonna have sex and then the the one boy gets killed now it just hits a weird lull there because everything after that i think because what norman goes upstairs gets locked in the attic then he's just hanging out up there and falls asleep and then gets woken up and then the next the next scene is like um, the the blood coming out of the toilet bowl, and then someone flushed the rag after killing the kids in the basement. Like something about that whole period of the movie, it was just, although good yeah. and moved along, I felt like something happened there, and it just could have done something else, and it would have, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean exactly. I know. Right. During that specific part of the film is when I uh-huh. start looking at the clock. You know, yeah, I, I, I just just sort of tune out a little bit and I, and and somehow then I come back and I'm like, whoa, what just happened? (laughs) Isn't that weird? And we, it's weird that we both feel it. And, and I was sitting with my girlfriend watching it for this time and (laughs) she 
she, she said something along those lines, and it was the same exact part. I don't know what it is. And here's the thing, like, that whole scene of him, or Spool, I guess, killing the kids in, the kid in the basement, I don't like anything about it. Like, okay, they go in, that's cool, they're gonna have sex, that's cool, it was a little awkward, weird. And all of a sudden, the mother comes in, and this is where it felt typical 80s horror to me. The... The mother just kills the boy for what reason now? Like, why wouldn't you just scare him out of the basement? And that the kill itself was terrible. That phony, like, mm. like up and down of the knife, as if she's like some kind of mechanical prop in a fucking funhouse or something. Like, it was just so <laughs> awkward and fake and theatrical looking. It didn't look genuine, like genuine swipes at a kid. And 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 letting the girl get away—that's really sloppy work. I mean, that really just—you know—obviously now he's. He showed up on the radar. You don't have people escape, you dumb bitch. Like, how long have you been killing people? Don't you know this? Like, that was just sloppy work right there. And then she cleans the whole thing up with a rag and flushes it in the toilet. Like, that, it just didn't make any sense. That'll do it. It was just yes. stupid, man. And, and that rag had so much blood on it that it gushed out of the toilet, dude. That's a great fucking... Hey, man, think about this compared to the first one and uh, how much time he took and how much um, time they dedicated to the scene of him cleaning up that bathroom. And then you look at what you just said. That's a... Dude, that's... that's hey, you just dropped some shit. <laughs> wow. That was good, man. Yeah, that that's cool. That's a great... Uh, that's a great comparison. Oh, you blew a pothead mine. <laughs> that's, uh, that's hard to do. What an accomplishment. <laughs> I'm going to go down to the record books of a great host. I'm just kidding. So, so here's the thing now. The next scene, Mary, you know, the cops, of course, come to the house. And Mary, right there, that's the point where Mary's character does a complete 180. She's like, Norman, whatever you do, don't tell him about the bedroom. And, you know, her whole mission was to make Norman go crazy or uh, just make him... Uh, do something wrong, you know, ultimately get him locked up again, but this was her chance, and that's what the mom said, but Mary truly believed that there was a third person doing these things, you know, even to the point where she's walking around the house with a gun, like, if she right. really believed that the mom was doing all that stuff, and she even said, what were you doing there last night, she was like, I wasn't there, why was she searching with a gun then, if she thought that was really just her mom, which she was going to shoot her? Almost like they were writing it kind of to um to seriously take her out of the equation and make her make her look like she wasn't part of the scheme. But that doesn't make any sense. Well, I guess it does. Well, wait, was she revealed to be in on it at that point? No, right? Um, no. See, that's what I'm saying. So it seems like they were trying to oversell it. Right, you're right. Like they were trying to oversell. Okay, she's definitely not in on it. Showing these scenes where she believes that it's somebody else doing doing all this shit, where clearly we we know that it's um you know the fucking her mom or yeah. you know so, not her mom, but and, you know. and then we get back to the sympathetic. Now we see the deterioration of Norman's sanity, and you know he leans down. He's like, "It's starting again." Yep. Yep. Poor bastard. And then you got the greatest scene <laughs> of the movie, I think. And this is, for me, because I have such a personal connection with the character, this scene is like encapsulates him in a way. When he's in the bedroom and she's holding him and he's talking about the toasted cheese sandwiches and... Just don't let them take me back to the institution. All right?
Don't worry, Norman. I won't. You smell good. I do? Yeah. What do I smell? You smell like... like the toasted cheese sandwiches. What? And my mother used to bring me when I was in bed with a temperature. She used to do lots of nice things for me before she went, before she became. Just remember the good things she did for you. Only the good things. I can't. They're not there anymore. Of course they're there. No, the doctors took them all away. Along with everything else. Except... Except those sandwiches. Just Oh, dude. Yo, let's get on that for a sec, too. We talk about the score in the first one. Nailed it on this one again, yep. dude. I love, love, love the music on this movie. And, Jamie, what if – do you think – are you happy that they switched it and didn't use any of the same cues from Psycho 1? You know, Friday 13th used them all the way through, Halloween all the way through. This was another franchise that took a different route, took a higher road, said we're going to make every movie its own. What do you think about that? I don't have a problem with that. I like it. Uh, there's only one thing I think is, well, uh, all right. Everything changes when we get to the next one. So um, I'll have more to say on that subject then. But what, musically? This, um, yeah, well, just overall. Everything? But, um, everything? But yes, yeah. music, music specifically. Uh, music goes in a weird kind of direction in the third one. and But I'll get to that. But, um... Overall, I mean, I, I do like the fact that each one of them is so different. Right, um, right. You know, and why not? And I have so much to say <laughs> about the next one in that, in that respect, too. But, um, yeah, I like that. I like, after a while, I mean, as much as I love Friday the 13th, and you know I love Friday the 13th. Oh, my God, I'm so in love with Jason. It's just crazy. After a while, there is no denying that it's, that it's so formulaic. Mm-hmm. That it just, I mean, you can pretty much look at the, it's like watching an episode of SVU. You know, you can look at your watch and be like, okay, this is the part where they're going to do the twist. This is the part where they're going to go walk, talk to the neighbor while he's shoveling his sidewalk. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is the part where it's going to start raining. This is the part where there's going to be a chase scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but with these movies, open drawer, knife. Not only Sex. could you not do that, really, you know, you really can't, but yeah. you don't really want to. I mean, to me, uh-huh. it's almost, this franchise is so elevated that I frequently forget it's a franchise, you know? Like, I don't even think about it when I think of franchises. And that's just, that's how highly I regard Like standalone movies, you mean? Like, they can all, they're just its own separate thing, you mean? Well, no, just or- that don't just that it doesn't you know it's no register it's no halloween it's no friday the 13th it's no saw it's not the same thing over and over and over and over again you know these are isn't that weird like why yeah all these horror movies right down from the beginning you know all those and we'll get into those we'll do a retrospective on them all the frankenstein movies all the draculas all the wolfman movies they were sort of like all the same thing over and over and over again so this is not anything new and then, you know, the 70s or whatever, like uh, Friday 13 and you know, Halloween, all that stuff, over and over and over. Even the, the schlocky ones like Critters, uh, the Massacre, Slumber Party stuff, 
uh, right. you know, all that stuff over and over and over. Same thing. And it's so weird. Like, this is so unique. And it's so. Yeah. W- and isn't this weird that, you know, how people think that, and this is not an insult because I love these movies we just mentioned. You know how, like, the general consensus of society is that the masses love the dumb stuff and all the really intricate, really great things people just don't latch on to the same way. Right. Even right, with music, right. like Nirvana, it's all like, you know, that's the most basic chord progressions and like kind of like melodies that you could ever do. It's so rudimentary. Mm-hmm. That's what people gravitated to. That was their favorite band. Then you got a really intricate band like the Smashing Pumpkins, and they're just not as big, even though their music is way better. Like, right. it's just like the same. It's it's the same kind of concept. People don't ever put Psycho in their top five franchises. Isn't that the most bizarre thing? Like, why wouldn't you? It's like a Silence of the Lambs Maybe there type aren't situation. Enough of them. Maybe. People only can maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I don't think of it. Like if, if there aren't, you know, eleven or twelve movies in the series, then maybe right. I just it doesn't cross my radar in that respect. Well, yeah, I, I got, honestly don't know. I honest I honestly don't know. Yeah, I got a question for you guys too. Now, before we get into three too much, obviously we're gonna do it next, but would you attribute three success in part well, I, I look at it like a big part in to do with number two. I mean, I think number two has a lot to do with three success. And if you do think that, what do you think is like the, the number one thing that, that kind of enforces that? Because there's a couple things, I think. Uh, what do you mean? Before I say anything. Well, for one, they went so far out of the box where they, they made, you know, another killer in it. So by the Yeah, I want to talk about that too. Well, exactly, man. So when they go back to the basics in the third one, they can't really do that. They can't rehash it in number two because it'll feel too much like it and it'll mirror it too, too much and, and, and it wouldn't work. So when they do it to three and bring it back to form and then on top of that, bring the twist in number three and there's a couple. Tw- there's a yeah, good twist in three. I like two or three. Exactly, but I attribute that a lot to number two. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, I, I think that's the, that's, that's why three works so well. I mean, uh, of course, we'll get to that, and I think it's a fucking great movie, but they went so far left already in number two, and it fucking was a great sequel, great fucking movie, and like I said, like you said, it's like standalone fucking flicks, and they just, they're great by in and itself, and there's so much, you know, when I think of these psycho movies, dude, I think of class. I think of horror done classy. They they never went that far left where it got stupid. I mean, yeah, they elevated the kills and, and you know, getting stabbed through the fucking fi- – yeah. Two, yeah. two you know, th- th- that's a good argument. Part three gets that bad rap of, well, at this point, it's a cash in. It's bullshit. They're just, you know, now Norman's just going to be Jason. That's total bullshit because you're not really – you're not watching the same – you're not – you're not – your brain's not registering what you're looking at. That's what you think because exactly. part two is more horrifically disturbing images and murders and there's more gore. There's more blood. There's more everything in part two than there is in three. But it's the way it was done. A knife shoved through Lila's mouth. Uh, the kid killed in the basement, hitting an old woman over the head with a shovel. 
uh, <laughs> a knife going through the dude's chest, falling off a stairs. reminds me of Throw Mama from the Train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then well, a, a knife going through the chest of the doctor, falling off a staircase, Norman getting stabbed repeatedly, this girl getting blown away by cops. Like, there's a lot of shit. Don't think for a second that this movie didn't go with the gore and... and and with that kind of stuff, they sold out, if you want to think of it that way, by elevating that stuff. Because in part one, it was nothing like that, you know? Uh, and I'm th- I feel like I'm missing one more. Oh, Toomey's kill slashing his face up. Like, oh, dude, there's a lot of shit going on in this movie. The, it's a, the way part three was shot. And there was something about it that makes you feel differently. And we're going to get into that. I'm sorry, dude. That was raw too. With the shovel scene when he fucking whacked her. Um, we've talked about um in other movies like Halloween, the remake there about the twitching. Hers was a little different, but there was that raw aspect of it. After, oh, dude, that was raw, man. So yeah, I I love that aspect of that that whole uh, kill because it wasn't like a stabbing. It was just a boom head injury. Yeah, and he hit her so hard the chair just busted apart. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's kind of that's kind of crazy. That's kind of uh, gratuitous, I think. That was yeah. That was a fucking what the fuck moment for sure. That wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. She would slump over and fall. And yeah, but it, <laughs> it, it worked, didn't it? Because most people probably didn't think of that. Uh, right. So before we get there, though, because you know we don't like to go to the end till we're at the end. At least you know uh, we'll jump around in the middle. But no, it's all good. We didn't do nothing that Sorry. bad. The idea that um, how everybody flipped out when. They found out Jason wasn't the real killer in Halloween, uh, Friday 13th 5, and how Michael's not in 3, and all the bullshit that comes with that, you know, all the politics and people hating on it, but yet nobody has a problem with Norman not being the killer in Psycho 2. That's what's really, uh, that's pretty interesting aspect to this, but, uh, but here's the thing, now, yeah. let's get to the phone call aspect, like, even with the break in Revelation that, you know, Mary is who she is, and those calls were made from the motel. The guy tells him, Norman glosses right over that. And right over the idea that Lila is pretending to be the mom, which was found out. And he even starts talking to Dr. Raymond as if he were mother. He was like, right. Norman, this is Dr. Raymond. Are you blah, blah, blah? And he goes, yes, mother. Okay, mother. And, it, and he's like, Norman, this is Dr. Raymond. He's like, okay, mother. And then he hangs up the phone, and Norman continues to have a conversation. So at that point, what do you think's going on in his head? He's not even talking to anybody anymore, and he heard Dr. Raymond. Now you don't even have to be telling him, Norman, this is your real mother. Your mom was stole you as a child. Like, he's not even listening to that no more. He's just... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's almost, almost like multiple personalities at this point. He's hearing different... See what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's... It's it's a but wow I never you know what it's weird man like I I noticed it but I never picked up on that really that's a good point man it's almost yeah that if if somebody would grasp that concept then it would that that would allude to the fact that all bets are off and he could be anybody at this point. that's just it all bets are off I think right right I didn't pick up on that though because I'm stupid that's so, okay it it took me like a week later I got it though I'm so proud of you thanks <laughs> can I hang it on the fridge. <laughs> well, you know, if you want. <laughs> so, do you want to get to the ending or what the f moments? Uh, I mean, I think. What well, What else did you have for what the f moments? Because I liked a lot of the kills. Um, yeah, the kills. I thought, yeah, some. I mean, some. Like we said, some of them were over the top, but you know, we already just touched on that. I don't know. What else do you think, bro? I don't. Know. This is the biggest what the f moment to me. Sher- Sheriff or whatever his name is, Hunt, the cop. <laughs> Okay, a kid was seen killed in the Norman Bates's house 
by a woman wearing a dress. He looks around for five minutes. Okay, sorry to bother you, Norman. Takes off. <laughs> Toomey is missing. Oh, well. Oh, wait. Toomey's car is in the swamp, just like Marion Crane. Norman, do you know about this? No, I don't know anything about it. Okay, sorry to bother you. Like, is this guy insane? Right. Everyone starts getting murdered the minute this guy gets back home, in his house, in the swamp, Toomey, the guy who ran the goddamn motel, and no one thinks anything of this? <laughs> it's funny, man, because, yeah, bro, it's funny how much uh, some people are invested in Norman, and then the cops are like fucking, you know, Bar Barney Fife characters, or like the, 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 almost like the police in the last house on the left or something. It's like, these guys are just fucking clowns, like, you know... Like, um, but, but that's, no, I mean, that's the thing. To, in their uh, defense, yes. he wasn't killing anyone, so he was right. But at the same time, Jamie, Alex is right, though. Would you, if somebody if somebody claimed that, would you just be like, all right, we're going to do a quick once-over. All right, thanks, Norman. Peace. It's like, yeah, Jamie, you do a little more investigation, even to the point where you'd maybe find out who actually did kill him. Like, like, but it's just like all the signs, Jamie. The the swamp. Oh, I love it when you say my name. <laughs> the kid getting killed with a witness. Toomey, Toomey, the motel guy is just gone. Right. Come right. on. And Norman is a well-known killer. You have to think. You ha you ha you you dig deeper. You don't take no for an answer. You go, well, what the fuck, dude? Why are all these people missing? And you showed up, and everyone's dropping like flies now, and you so happen to have nothing to do with it? Well, right. I mean, should he go arrest Jessica Lang for the Jessica Lang? I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say, <laughs> fucking shit, I messed it up. Angela Jessica Lansbury Lang. for the same reason. Jessica Fletcher is what I was saying. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> nice. I don't get your reference. <laughs> Murder she <laughs> But what about it? Why would she, why would he arrest because her? Because everywhere she goes, people drop, people oh. start dropping like flies. Oh, right. You know, um, sorry, but, that's kind of a dated reference, I guess. Do you, no, I, I know Murder She Wrote. I know, I'm down with fucking Jessica. But, um, <laughs> do, you, do you think, do you think that's the, one of the weakest aspects of the movie? And if you do, um, do you think that killed it? I mean, see, that's the thing. Like, no, I, I no. definitely saw that, but it, to me, it's like... It's just funny. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, too. I said about the class, man. What do you guys... Would you guys co-sign to that, that, uh, that, that way of thinking? Like, it's just got a certain class to it. I watch people's court. I'm not co-signing bullshit. <laughs> oh, snap. All right, I... The lighting, the writing, the the sets, everything is classy in a way. It's like award-winning. I'm talking about like that type of movie. Like it's fucking a great movie, dude. Like you see, with movies like this too, you can't even almost to say it's just straight up horror and shit like that. It's like, nah, man, this is like a dramatic thriller horror movie, so on and so forth. So that's what I mean by class, man. And maybe you know, I'm not the best at wording things. <laughs> right, I'm so glad we got you on the show, then. I know, dude. I'm we could have got people who know how to talk on here. Thank God you're likable. I just want to, yeah, supposedly. That's what they say. Yeah, more than me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Try being pretty. It works for me. Jamie, you're good to go, girl. Yeah, what is the dynamic here at this point? Jamie's pretty and smart. Dan's really likable. The kind of guy you want to hang out with. And Alex is, uh. He's a douche. He's a weirdo. He's a douche. <laughs> He's an over opinionated jerk off who just, uh. You love to disagree with, and uh, 
he's as bizarre as Norman Bates and fits in just about as well as he does. <laughs> I'll co-sign. I'll co-sign to that. There you go. Now you are you are smart and personable and adorable. Ooh. And I was just kidding about that pretty thing on my part. It's because I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, Jamie. You know what time it is, yeah, girl. Exactly. Mary's overwhelming guilt eventually causes her to break down into tears, and she's like. Norman, it's it's not your mother. You know, she's like, oh my god, I really feel like shit about what I did to this poor guy. Right. All of a sudden, bam, kills Dr. Raymond because she thought it was Norman. Then, Awesome. Wait, then she actually says to him, I didn't mean to, I thought it was <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> right. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, it's okay. He's like, it's okay, girl. <laughs> oh, so I'm not upset that you killed my doctor because you th- you were th- you thought you were ending my existence. Okay, <laughs> thanks, sweetie. I know that you know that I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah. So then, what do you guys think of this now? I'm not crazy about the ending. I'm not saying it's bad. Right. Doesn't it kind of like take away a little? The whole closeness, the toast the cheese sandwiches scene, the scene of Norman taking her in and saying, "Well, you 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 can stay at my place." Bye bye. The whole thing and and her going, "No, he didn't do it, Mom. I'm telling you, Norman is really good now." All that great stuff that really bonded these two together. Doesn't it kind of just shit on it to have her like just randomly just stab the shit at this guy when he's only coming over her, uh, coming over to her and saying. Mother, it, it's okay. I'll I'll cover for you like I did last time. Honey, at this point, her mother is dead. But she didn't know that until she got into that basement. I thought. Well, I thought that's where you were. Oh no, no, you're in the. Okay, I'm still upstairs. Um, where she's like stab. Where she goes to stab him in the back right before she gets shot. No, where she's stabbing his hands, stabbing his chest, and then she's like, she's she's sitting there and she's like, Norman, you're losing a lot of blood, and I'm like, well then stop fucking stabbing him, bitch. <laughs> he's not he's not throwing up blood, you're stabbing him. Yeah, at that point I don't understand. I, because he has been nothing but kind to her. He thinks that he is uh maybe losing his grip on sanity again. He hasn't really been a threat. I don't really see the point in in no, continuing to stab him and then like but we need to you're bleeding. Well no shit. You just stabbed him. Of course you have red on you. <laughs> yeah. Norman, you're spilling red paint all over yourself. Stop. That was bright. <laughs> yeah, I hate that 80s blood. I swear. I wish I could go back and, like, digitally darken it or something. I hate that stuff. Oh, I was watching... I got Rosemary's Baby on Blu-ray yesterday, and I was watching it last night. The, the blood <laughs> in that is so red paint. Yeah. It's not doesn't even try to be anything but red paint. <laughs> However, the Blu-ray is fucking gorgeous. I mean, the colors are insane. It is. Uh... I've never seen that. Movie. <laughs> oh, dude, it's good. Except for you know what it is. Rosemary's Baby was amazing, and then the ending was fucking horrible, dude. It was like the worst ending ever. Oh, it was oh. not. Don't listen. I'll watch it. I'll see. I'm already fucking intrigued. Exactly. All right. Well, like Jamie said. She's, she makes it down to the fruit cellar, and cops are banging on the door at this point because, you know, they know shit's up. And uh, Mary looks to her right, and the coal kind of falls over, and she sees 
her mother, who was stabbed through the mouth, uh, sitting there dead in a pile of coal. And now it's like, you son of a bitch, you just ki you killed my mother. You mother... And she, like, takes a gun and aims it right at Norman. She's gonna blow him away, I guess. And then all of a sudden, the cops burst in and blow this bitch to pieces. Yep. Or actually, I'm trying to make it sound more exciting. She just fell down a couple holes in her but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it was like this big great fight no he she gets a couple of bullets yeah. <laughs> so then the cops put it together that these two killed everybody and Mary even killed her own mother <laughs> so she and her mother were trying to put Norman back into the asylum well, that much we know for sure and something went wrong between them but they had a fight she wanted Lila to leave Norman alone but she wouldn't we have a witness that heard the whole thing. So she murdered her own mother over Norman? Looks like it. What about the bodies in the swamp, the boy and that motel manager? Mary and Lila Loomis did it. They tried to blame the murders on Norman. Or maybe only the daughter did it. She definitely killed Dr. Raymond. I tell you, if you'd seen Mary Loomis at the end, you wouldn't have questioned it. She'd gone mad. Dressed up in Norman's mother's clothes and a wig trying to kill Norman and him hardly even able to defend himself any longer. Right till the end, she kept saying Norman was the one who was crazy. It's horrible. I, I, well, we've already, you know, proven them to be stupid anyway. So yeah. how, how they came to their conclusions and why they justified it. It's just it. stupidity, yeah. It's almost irrelevant, too, because it's not like we're, we're from a different perspective. We're right there in it. We're actually more so from the perspective of Norman than anybody. And then especially towards the end, it's everybody all fucking hands on deck. It's you learn everybody's secrets. And, and it's almost like um, those cops are, are there to, uh, you know, pick up the dead bodies and uh, put, you know, put somebody in jail for it and, you know, try and piece it together. But they're really irrelevant in the end, you know? Yeah. And usually that's how cops go in movies. I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, like you just said, they've already proven themselves irrelevant. So Yeah, and so. also her shooting Norman really sells the idea that she's a killer. So yeah, Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It works. It works. It's cool. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Okay, so we get to the controversial ending. This, I believe, shits on the the whole lore, the whole folklore, or whatever, of Norman and his mom. So Mrs. Spool... The canon? Huh? Canon? Canon? What's that? Well, you know, like... Is that the word I'm trying to use, you mean? The Baxter, it, yeah, probably. Well, it'll work. Well, I'm an idiot. I can only think of words like story and... <laughs> Stop it. Perpendicular. That's the word of the day, perpendicular. <laughs> Most of my vocabulary is words like and, the, or, that. <laughs> Like, no, like, like you know, a. <laughs> Dan is puff, puff, give. Yeah. Look, <laughs> like, like Mrs. Spool gives her explanation of you know who she is, and we'll play that clip. So, are you really my mother? The name Spool doesn't mean anything to you. No, should it? It was Norma Bates' maiden name. The woman you thought was your mother was my sister. I had you when I was very young, out of wedlock. I couldn't handle a brand new baby. Especially uh, being by myself, I... I had some trouble and the state put me away for a while. That's when Norma took you in. You were less than a year old. Too young to remember me. She never mentioned me, did she? No, she... Uh... 
She didn't. I guess she didn't want you to know you had a mother who wasn't quite right. But we know all about that, don't we, Norman? Mm-hmm. After I got out, you'd already had your troubles and been committed. I decided to wait for you. And then when I saw what they were trying to do to my poor little boy, I couldn't stand it. So I followed them. And one by one, after all, you're all I have in this world. You're sure you won't have a sandwich? Pardon? Okay, so here's the big question of the day. Before I get to why I'm mad that this is even happening. Why does Norman kill her without giving it a second thought? I mean, she just shows up, explains who she is. Goodbye, bitch. Bam. Hits her with a shovel. Chair falls apart. She's dead. She's twitching. He already fed her some strychnine. Now, here's the reason I don't think that makes sense. One would think that he regretted killing his original mother, and that's the reason he acted out her life as if she were still alive, because he couldn't handle that he committed matricide. So now he has a chance to have his real mother alive all over again, and he just kills her again. Then now he's forced to speak in her voice again, ba-ba-ba, why? Well, I mean, he didn't like the fact that she was killing people, you know? I mean, that kind of ticked him off. Come on, James. Oh, that, that, did you see his face when she told him she was the one that had been doing all that? He did not approve. You really believe that's the thing? I believe it's a thing. <laughs> what about you, Dan? Why do you think he was, uh... And plus, he's not crazy, right? Didn't he... He didn't kill anybody in this movie. So, now he's just gonna go ahead and kill? <sighs> I think that in Norman's mind, you know, even after he found out that was his mother or whatever, it, he's already fucking full on quote unquote psycho. And that image in his mind, it doesn't matter because it's still not the image of, you know, his mother in his mind compared to that lady. So I think that whole aspect of it was, uh, I don't know. Is that what, did you guys get that from that? I don't know if that answers your question. I don't, dude, not. I don't think anybody can answer it. It's just, you know, theory, conjecture. But I'm just saying, like, okay, how about this? Do you think he was already so comfortable with the idea? You gotta remember, mother's been yeah. dead from age 12 to roughly, what was he, let's just say 28 years old. When, okay. yeah, because he was about 50 when he came out 22 years later. So, you figure uh, for 16 years, he has acted out mother. Mm -hmm. um, as from age 12 to 28, she aged with him. He started, this, the voice he started speaking was an older one. Um, mm -hmm. things like that. Do you think he just couldn't mentally accept going back to the original? Plus, you gotta remember, he hated his mother. You know, she tormented the shit out of him. So... That's right. Yeah, so why would he want her alive again, you know? So... That's what I'm saying, yeah, exactly. Like, was it just he's so used to having a dead mom yeah that he just said let's put her right back where she belongs i guess exactly i mean and to me it was the whole um with with him killing her exactly like you just said that's like setting it all right like you know in his mind it's always you know his mom's been dead he already has a of him 
of her in his mind and you know whacking her over the head just sets everything in place as far as you know having everything cohesive and make everything make sense in his mind that's what he's used to i mean does that make sense i don't know yeah see what i'm saying okay so yeah i don't know i see there's a bunch of different ways you can take that but um mainly i think he, he was just that was his transformation and that was the culmination of his transformation like we just said to elaborate on it he wanted to kill her put her back in her place and make everything right because you know nothing i mean how could you you know if he's if he's really full-on crazy now it's like how is that gonna how is that gonna work <laughs> how he acted yeah right yeah how's she like, gonna live in that world but he seemed you know what i don't know man a little bit of character maybe issues here he seemed full-on crazy when i don't know maybe i'm not Right, because he was crazy when he was, you know, holding the knife and she pulled the blade right through his hands, dude. And mm. he was, he was Ooh, fucking. That was rough. Yeah, he was nuts at that point. So, yes. Okay, he can pull it off. Sit in a hospital. Uh, sit in the in the police station, just calm and normal. Okay, mm-hmm. I I could imagine he could do that. He gets home, but he seems a little too normal when he's home again. And then the way he's talking to Miss Full, he seems calm and collective and in charge of things. He doesn't seem crazy and, like, lost like he was just hours ago when he talked to his doctor as if she were mom and thinking Mary was mother. And he was just going nuts. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. He, I don't think it makes sense, the character progression through those three scenes. I don't. I agree. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not buying it. Yeah. You, no, you know what? You're right. You, I, hey, I'll co-sign to that one. Yeah, that seems you're right. You know, looking back on it, I didn't really it didn't pop when I when I saw that. Um, but now that you say that, yeah, looking back, it did feel a little um, a little out of place. But once again, great movie overall. Yeah, great it, movie it, still. Yeah. I buy it. Why? Why? How could you be nuts and then in control and collective? Well, that's part of being nuts. You know, I mean, look at how he was in the first one at the very end. He, after all of that, at the very end in the police station, sitting perfectly still to prove a point, but completely in control. Just because you're crazy doesn't mean you have no control over your limbs, you know, and you're just like, blah, you know, or that you don't know how to act. His personality was fine when Spool got there. Yeah, I mean, the, well, there was no reason for it not to be. At that point. Well, yeah, if you continue off as what he was doing when he was getting stabbed in the hands. Well, but he was getting stabbed in the hands. <laughs> I think that's the deciding factor there is that he was getting stabbed in the hands. Well, don't you think you'd act differently if I were stabbing you in the hands right now? Oh, my God. I'd be stabbing you. Your dog. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Do you guys think that. Because I felt, when I first went through these movies, I remember being insanely disappointed that um, the classic mom was not Norman's real mother. How did you guys feel when Spool dropped that bomb? Oh, I exactly the same way. Yeah. yeah. It, it was... It was um, Weird. Yeah. It, it was like you found out something about your own family that yeah. it was, you know, like your dad wasn't really your dad. Yeah. Yeah, or like your uncle like sits on dildos in the basement or something. Oh, Jesus Christ! I was so much when I found that. That was so specific. No, but you know what? <laughs> I know, but like seriously, when I was fourteen, I found out my dad wasn't my dad, and that um, 
is very, I mean, you know, it, it's like, you know, something that you just know, and then you don't know it anymore. And it's weird. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. Yep. I, I felt the same way. It was just, it's just, uh, felt like a slap in the face, really. And it was a slap, man. I don't like it. That's one thing I don't like about the movie. Yeah. Just a slap in However, the face. Anthony brings it back around for us a little bit later yes he does and i can't wait to get into that but uh all right well, let's wrap this up um this one you know i like a lot of the homages to part one of course the best one one of the or yeah probably was when he gets into the cabin to give mary a room and he grabs for the for cabin one key and then he like moves his hand and like forces it onto someone lower a lower key the, um, here's the question is evil instinctive you know was he in mode to, to spy on naked rear ends again and kill? And then it was like, <clears throat> wait a minute, that's, that's an, in, is that, you know, is, is that subconscious evil? Yeah, what? I think it's habit. Yeah, it also... That's it. That's it? Kind of makes, yeah, I mean, I think it also kind of makes sense. I mean, if you are working in a motel and you're going to give a room to someone in order to save yourself a lot of walking and, and nonsense, wouldn't you put it close to the office. Yeah, but he didn't, you know, he didn't use it that way. I mean, I know that it just, to me, it's just, it's, if there is instinct, then that's where it's coming from. Not... Nothing evil? Want to, to, no, I don't think he is evil. I don't, I don't see anything evil Hmm. about him. Right. I do, yeah, it's true. He, he's crazy trying not to be. Yeah, he's crazy. Look, he's crazy, but he's not evil. I guess there's a difference. I mean, really, I mean, well, you can you can look at it, you know, a bunch of different ways. If crazy is the equivalent to evil, I mean, whatever. But you yeah. know, the whole thing, <laughs> the movie's called Psycho. Well, look, I mean, it's he he has dissociative identity disorder. He, there you go. He thinks he's someone else. Does that make him evil? No. Exactly. That's what. Well, that that's a whole fucking debate. We could put that's that. That's why. Uh, any, well, I mean, you know there really I mean? isn't one. I mean, Norman is Norman as himself is a good person. He he tries to cover for his mother. He is concerned about people. He, you know, he doesn't. He's horrified when he finds these things that she has it's, done. Uh, um, because he, as Norman, is a good person. Okay, Jamie, who killed Mrs. Spool, Norman or mother? Norman did, but it's because I told So now he's evil then? Uh, no, he's not evil. He's She was the evil one in his eyes. He was taking her out. Why not just report her to the police? Because it's so much easier just to hit him over the head with a shovel. <laughs> you know what? I think you're as crazy as mother is. All right. I think Jamie's off a rocker. All right. Uh, so I guess this is going to be a, a, a sad thing for you guys to hear. Okay, uh, Meg Tilly, never watching Psycho as a kid, she wasn't really big in, into TV. Um, on set, Aunt, uh, Anthony Perkins overheard her say, she was saying this to people in the crew during the, the filming of Psycho 2, she said, uh, why is, you know, why is Tony getting all this attention? Uh, what's the big deal? Why, like, what's this whole thing? Why is this such a big deal that he's coming back to do Psycho 2? And, Basically, she was wondering why she wasn't getting more attention than than, Aunt, than Tony because he was so, you know, old and, you know, she just didn't get what was the big deal about him being there. And he was he took that not well at all. And um, he didn't talk to her for the rest of the filming. And he recommended that she be replaced like he was hell bent on getting her fired after that. 
And the problem was half the scenes were already shot. Mm. So oh. one of the scenes I heard that were shot after, I don't know them all. I'm sure somebody does. And if you can get the shooting shooting schedule, I guess you could find out. But mm -hmm. the scene where he was at the table and he was holding the knife and, you know, had to cut the sandwich. Yeah. yeah. He hated her at that point. So, oh. and then supposedly you could see the tension between them. And I think, I forgot one of the other ones, but yeah, he didn't, he wanted her off. And uh, in the original script of Psycho 2, Mary actually survives those gunshots. Um, and they filmed the scene. And uh, it was basically like, you know, she's in the hospital, but she'll be okay. But, you know, blah, blah, blah. And whatever they're going to do with her. But that, the reason that scene was cut. Because yeah. um, they already wanted to do Psycho 3. But it was cut because, nor you know, Anthony didn't want her. So they just said, all right, well, then we'll just have her as she died and we'll do a whole new thing for Psycho 3. Yeah, and you can kind of see it from both sides. What do you guys think? I mean, obviously it's justifiable in his eyes, but in her eyes too, I mean, I'm not saying ignorance is justifiable, but if she was just ignorant and didn't know, um, naturally going in, and if you're the leading lady in a fucking horror movie, you're the leading lady in a fucking horror movie. Yeah. And I mean, even if you've seen the first one, you know, actually, you know what? It is all about him. But assuming that she didn't, I mean, that's what it sounds yeah, like. She didn't like get said, it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you can't blame her. You can't, I guess that that goes into the whole thing. You know, can you blame ignorance or whatever? But I'm just saying you can't blame her if you account for just being ignorant, not knowing. I mean, and yeah. No, that's probably it was like an off the cuff, uh, you know, not off the cuff remark, but just an overall like feeling like, you know, what the fuck? I don't get it. It's almost justifiable, but obviously he's more justifiable in the sense where even if he took that a little, little too much, it's like, how fucking dare you? You crazy? Like, don't you know who I am? And, and that, and like I said, you know, is ignorance justifiable? I don't think so. She should have fucking known. She should have seen the yeah, first movie. And if she didn't, I mean, come on, dude. I mean, we're she an idiot. Come on, you know, know, get with the fucking program. So, yeah, yeah you know, that's crazy, though. Yeah. It's amazing how uh, how how, how much uh, tension can carry over in the film, too. I mean, not amazing. It's just it's kind of cool to see, I think. It's one of those things where... I wonder if it changed it for the better, too. And rewatchability factor, like I said, I love this fucking movie on rewatch, uh, you know, rewatch all the time, man. It's great. Yeah, I love reliving every scene. This is one of those rare movies where... Uh, to me, because I can't speak for everybody, uh, mm -hmm. every time this uh, the next scene starts up, like I'm like, all right, yeah, let's get into this. You know, like I can't wait to see this again. This was great. Even the stupidest shit, like Norman with the thing and the the job and and the mm -hmm. note and Toomey fighting with Norman in the diner and Toomey, you know, when he fires Toomey, when he walks in, he goes, "What's going on here? What is this?" Right. I'd say it was drugs. You know, is that what's going on in the other cabins? Like. I just love it. I love the exchange between them. I love him talking to uh, to uh, what's Mary when yeah. they're outside the diner, and she's like, "Is that why you covered for me with that pie plate?" He goes, "Yeah, you know, people should help each other out." You know, like all that shit, dude. It's great. The scenery, the 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 shots were great. The 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 skies when they were dark and it was raining, and the music in the background and the motel, like everything mm. is fucking great. And it's just like even him talking to his doctor when they walk up and they see the mom in the window, like. I just love everything, and this is like one of the best rewatchabilities, except for when it hits that lull. Right. Yeah, and uh, one more thing, 
we're going to get into Psycho 3, and I'm sure the thing that will get thrown around is the sleaziness and, like, uh, this, the sexual innuendos and or, and or references. There's a lot of them in this movie, too. That's what I think is so crazy about how people think part two is so much classier than three, and we're going to get into why you think that, but it's not true. And one of the reasons is, um, think about all the sexual stuff in this movie. Toomey's saying... Hey, what's it like to screw a psycho? And Ma- and, and Mary saying, "Do you ever you ever sit next sleep next to a couple making love in the next room? It gets pretty loud." And then there's two kids gonna screw in the basement. Toomey talks about them screwing in the basement. Mm. You know, he's like, "What's she, what's he like in bed? Better than you'll ever be, fat boy." Like that's a lot of sexual stuff for a movie that's so classy. You know, mm-hmm. it's in there. Yeah. It's all in there. It's how it was done. That's the only difference here. Right? Agreed. Yeah. Overall, I'm crazy about this movie. I think I'm, and I just, I'll just reiterate what I said. I think it's very tight. Um, they, with interesting characters and some nice twists, it's fun. It does hit that little bit of a lull, but it's not enough to kill it for me. That see, that's the thing. It's like um, there's certain things that are just forgivable. Um, yeah, they're forgivable. Right, like in a movie, um, you know, and that's the thing we've said time and time again, man. We nitpick these movies, but you know, uh, what do you think? Should we rate this first of all? Well, we have to have something to talk about. <laughs> you know, um, we have to nitpick. Otherwise, what are we gonna say? It was good, good kills, good settings, good music. Okay, next movie. Well, that would just be okay. plowing through it, and we don't want to do that. Yeah, we're not gonna plow through this one. Exactly. Mr. Plow, the plow. That's my name. That name again is Mr. Plow, known for plowing through retrospectives. <laughs> yeah, no, um, see, that's the thing. I, I do love the sequel as far as sequels are concerned. It's one of the better ones of the of all the horror franchises. And uh, overall, it's a great fucking movie. I like, yeah. Yeah, and I want to give a side note real quick. Um, another, you know, character connection between me and Norman is that... Moonlight Sonata, I think this name of it is, has always been my favorite. Like, uh, as a pure piano piece, that's my favorite song ever. And it's been since I was like 13 or 12. And that's the song that Norman plays on the piano in his first few nights back home. Oh. When that happened, dude, I was like, this is me. Dude. It was unbelievable. I, I cannot believe it. I noticed that. And that's when I first started thinking about the score. Hmm. Yeah. of the movie and I said oh wow dude and I didn't look it up right then a lot of the times I will but I definitely put that in my mental bank that wow that was a good song I gotta check that out yeah good call Moonlight Sonata that's what it is what? so yeah let's rate 7.5 okay I guess that's like an 8 that's pretty good yeah okay yeah yeah that yeah. course is good you round up oh man alright Dan S- See, now that you just said that, I'm starting to think more and more about that, and I've been fighting between the 8 and the 8.5. Hmm. For as far as sequels are concerned, you got to give it, yeah, 8.5. Oh, absolutely. It's just a great sequel, man, and that is rare, and you got to give it that, man. You know, sequels are hard to do, yep. and they nailed it, and they did something original. You know, within the context of the world, does, does that make sense? In, in in the reality, it all makes sense, and it's a great take on it. Yeah, man, 8.5. And let's not forget what they had to follow up here. You got some big shoes to fill, motherfucker, oh, you know? fuck, man. Yeah. So, so. they did it. A, 
with the pressures and the performances and the high road they took and didn't go typical with the plot points that they they went into they really gave this an all-out effort great performances there's a lull there there's some things that could have been sped up couples maybe couple scenes cut but this is a, a personal rating i think it's a nine if I had to recommend it and talk to people who are not crazy, because this is my favorite franchise, so of course it's going high. And in reality, of like, if I was just telling people about it, right? I'll go. I'll just go a half a point lower with you with an eight point five. You know what's intriguing about that? <clears throat> you have not hidden the fact that Psycho Three is your favorite in the franchise. So will Alex give it a ten, folks? That's. That, that would be crazy if I did that. That's where I lose credibility, I think. Okay. But will I be willing to do that to my favorite wow. one? Oh, that would be where you lost credibility? What do you think I did? <laughs> Show number three or something? <laughs> Nick, Patty, wait, Dan like, just encourages oh. my bitchiness. <laughs> All right, guys. Tune in to Skeleton Crew Show number 47. For the Psycho Retrospective Part 2, in which we will cover Psycho 3, Psycho 4, and have a little bonus clip to touch on the Psycho remake. Until then, there's one thing about Norman Bates that you can't forget. And that thing is, uh, Norman, why don't you uh, tell him yourself? No, I don't uh, kill people anymore, remember? (laughs) 